everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley. I'm super excited for this week's show because it's a very special show. We're talking nine from 99. That's right, nine movies from 1999, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am joined by the man who came up with this idea, this great gimmick, uh, Mr. Adam Risky. Thank you. I think it's partly jealousy because i was class of 2000 Mm. and i was like oh i want it to mean something (laughs) and then instead i had to define a generation did you have any of that y2k anxiety like i don't even know if we will graduate (laughs) yeah what if there's not even an earth what if i have to graduate in a post-apocalyptic wasteland i remember i diplomas are currency (laughs) that would be amazing (laughs) I have two of them. Uh, <laughs> the power elite. Um, so I remember I spent New Year's Eve 99 going into 2000 at um, a high school girlfriend's family's party. They like rented out like one of those country club rooms. Yeah. And they had a New Year's Eve party. And I remember being a little bit more on edge. Sure. Until midnight. Yeah. And then the dancing started. Was it like the ending of Strange Days? Yeah, but with Goo Goo Dolls music playing. So like the ending of Strange Days. They did not have Goo Goo Dolls. No, I think you're right. I think it was all like industrial. Yeah. Juliette Lewis covering PJ Harvey and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of industrial, I watched 8mm over the weekend for (laughs) an article. Slow your roll. But there's like industrial stuff in that. I feel like they they needed – like I I need to know for sure. Is the sex underground and industrial hand in hand? Or is it a composite – that filmmakers decided. It's a fascinating worldview that Joel, Ma- Joel Schumacher <laughs> doesn't possess but tries to possess when directing 8mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, next week at fthismovie.com is 1986 week mm-hmm. in celebration of F This Movie Fest 2019. Uh, on Saturday, March 9th, beginning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, we're going to watch six movies from 1986. We're going to kick things off with Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And follow that with Big Trouble, Big Trouble in, in Little China. China. And then... You put this together. I sure did. I know what the next one is. is Invaders Ferris, from Mars. It's Invaders from Mars. And then Ferris Bueller. Yes. And then Cobra. And we're going to wrap things up with Aliens. And hopefully then do a, a podcast after that. I don't know yet if the podcast will be live or not. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's very exciting because we will be joined in person by Rob DiCristino. Mm-hmm. And Eric Asperschlager, mm-hmm. so that'll be fun. We have some of the gang coming in from out of town for F This Movie Fest. But all week long next week, we're going to be celebrating 1986 movies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good stuff in 1986. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into some of the ones that I haven't seen and other ones that I haven't revisited in yeah. a long time. So. It's going to be super fun. So yeah. hopefully you can all join us. Uh, for more information, go to fthismovie.com and look up F This Movie Fest. Uh, Adam, have you seen anything good lately? have um so as you know i've been more going backwards than staying with the current stuff this yeah. year and it's it's funny because it's made me watch a lot more movies because it's like oh these are good and it makes <laughs> me want to watch more movies not these are the sad state of affairs and i never want to see another movie ever again um so there's a few that I wanted to talk about that are kind of like, they're not great, but they're interesting. And I wanted to see what you thought of them. All right. So I saw Set It Off for the first time. I haven't seen it since the Woodfield Mall Theater, but go ahead. That seems like a Woodfield Mall movie. It, it definitely mall, was. Mall movie. Yeah. Um, 
it made me it's better than most f gary gray movies post 2000 he was kind of no second because he did friday and then he did set it off sorry and then he did um the negotiator with christopher Plummer and samuel l jackson (laughs) (laughs) so i i like that f gary gray i like his pre-2000 f gary gray stuff italian job yeah i'm not a big fan of the italian Uh, job i feel like edward norton kind of is sabotaging that movie a little bit because he was forced to be in it i know that, i mean it's not a surprise but right. yeah yeah he really didn't want to be there <laughs> um and it shows <laughs> and uh yeah he's been like playing career karma ever since a little bit hmm. um but we'll get to that later um and then i, I thought set it off was it, it's such like a good time capsule of a new line movie mm-hmm. in the 90s um I remembered it more for the En Vogue song than I did for, like, the plot of the movie. So when I watched it, I was impressed by, um, I'm not used to seeing Jada Pinkett really kind of get, like, a meaty part. She's usually sort of, like, a fourth or fifth lead in a movie. Or you just don't really think about it. Woo aside, right? We're not not counting Woo. I missed Woo. We all miss Woo. I miss Wu. <laughs> Didn't miss Baps. Miss Wu. <laughs> I don't think I've seen either one. Oh, okay. Rudy but Ray Moore's in Baps. Wu and Baps don't sound like movie titles. They sound like we're just doing onomatopoetic onom- noises, like they... <laughs> Michael Winslow from Police Academy. It sounds like a follow-up song by Hanson. It's like, Wu, Baps. I like it. Yeah. I like it, too. That's why I said <laughs> it. Um, yeah, so Set It Off was, was all right. Um, uh, did you ever see it? Set it off? Yeah, like, out, or what did you think of it when you saw it? I remember thinking it was pretty decent yeah. at the Woodfield Mall Theater, and I, don't, I haven't really thought of it since then, but I know yeah. when trailers for Widows started showing, I was like, isn't that just set it off? And it's not. But okay. um, I remember liking it enough. Yeah, yeah. I like it more than Widows. Interesting. I'm okay. Go that I'd far. have to see it again. I'm going to go that far. Yeah. Except I'm starting to realize the Widows thing. It's not that I don't like Widows, it's that I don't like people liking Widows so much at me. Yeah, sometimes I feel like... We could relax on Widows a little bit. Like, I'm glad people like Widows, but I feel like everybody who likes Widows feels the need to find time to tell me specifically (laughs) that they like Widows. Um, I saw High Flying Bird. Did you watch that yet? No. Okay. You know what that is? No. The Steven Soderbergh movie that premiered on Netflix like two weeks ago. So it's got Andre Holland from Moonlight. Zazie Beetz is in it. And it's basically... I didn't even know this came out. Yeah. Yeah. It was like... Velvet Buzzsaw was one week, then High Flying Bird was the Luckily, Friday I saw Velvet Buzzsaw. I made it Blech. 10 minutes into that, and I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. You're good. Um, so High Flying Bird is, it's a more, it's like the first half of it, I texted Rob while I was watching it. I'm like, this is really good. And then the second half, I'm just like, oh, it's just good. Okay. But um, <clears throat> I think that it's interesting because his choice to shoot it on an iPhone feels more purposeful than it did with Unsane, maybe, mm-hmm. because this one, I think, has, and this isn't spoiling anything, but I think it kind of has a do things on your own terms message, okay. where it's, the movie is explicitly about um, the NBA players 
being sort of at the mercy of the Players Association and the owners and the NBA as an organization and how they don't have a lot of freedom to do this or to do that, which is kind of interesting because the NBA is sort of like the league in sports that has the most freedom to be player emboldened. Mm-hmm. But um, he he does it in this in this framework. There's a strike that's going on in the movie and everything. So a lot of the players are are kind of out and they can't um, earn a living and things like that. So Andre Holland sort of manipulates the system so that the players kind of take control and force the issue so that the labor negotiations um, kind of take place. So you had me at labor (laughs) negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen labor day? Um, No. So I, I, I I enjoyed it. It was interesting. Um, It's, it's one of those movies where like in the first 10 minutes, you're like, oh, this is going to be like a classic because they're playing like the perfect Richie Haven song <laughs> for okay. like what's right. going yeah, on. Yeah, so yeah. I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I saw Alita Battle Angel. We talked about that a little bit. I really liked it more than I thought that I would. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of the Alita character is so positive and like optimistic and kind of like a Pinocchio type character where she's seeing the world for the first time in certain ways and she's excited about like oranges and like an early scene and I'm just like I like the orange enjoying <laughs> robot lady um so I don't know it was I was telling I think it was Jan on uh the other day that she Alita and I mean this as a compliment so I hope this person is listening maybe um a person I knew back in 1999 in high school, there was this girl who reminded me a lot of Alita because she had big anime eyes and she was just always happy. And so like you would see her and she'd be like, hey, and then you're like, hey, because you're matching their energy. And that's kind of how I felt with the movie. Got it. Um, and the special effects, like if there are better visual effects in a movie this year, I will be very surprised. No wow. Um, I saw it in Dolby 3D. <laughs> It was a little bit too much for me. I know, like, the action sequences look great, but there's a lot of kind of static scenes where it's more just depth of field and seeing the world and stuff. And I kind of got a little tired with that visually just because of the 3D. So maybe don't, if you don't like 3D, maybe don't see it in 3D. Mm-hmm. But see it, like, on a really big screen. It's very visually impressive. It's fun. It's like the type of movie that I'm always looking for around this time of year because for whatever reason in February, that's where I go like really dorky. Like I really like to see Star Wars stuff or I think it all kind of started when like, remember when they did that failed attempt to post convert Star Wars movies in 3D and they did that with episode one first. That was like just what I needed that night. And then since then it's been like, oh, fanboys (laughs) fanboys <laughs> came out in february or like i want to watch other star wars movies or like um my, the next things i'll talk about are i watched the two matrix sequels and i'm like this is exactly what i want because it's like gets me excited for summer blockbusters in a way do you think it's a reaction to like months of awards season bait yeah okay. yeah i definitely think like you know i look forward to the smoking aces of the world in january right, right, i just right, want right. something that is not going to challenge me, but it could be like really fun. Well, luckily the awards season movies didn't really challenge you either. So no, you no. burnt Oscar. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. They didn't challenge me at all. <laughs> no, yeah, they challenged me to like them, but that was about it. Um, and then I saw uh, fighting for my family, and that was 
pretty decent. Okay. Um, I had fun with it. Like Nick Frost is really funny in it, and Florence Pugh is is awesome. So I is was she the the lead. She's the lead. Okay. She plays Paige, the WWE wrestler who was the Divas champ. Um, I didn't know anything about the story. Yeah, I'm not, I don't either. I'm going to my first WWE. That's WWE. too many W's. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm a novice. <laughs> I'm going to my first WWE match on March 18th. And I know Ronda Rousey is going to be there. And nice. since you have your phone out, yeah. um, take a look. It's at Allstate Arena. I'm curious if I'm you know any of these. That you're going, I'm curious way. if you know any of who any of these people are. Okay, because you could tell me if these like cards are good. I I probably won't. Okay, um, I'm fascinated by the the overlap of like horror fans and wrestling fans. Yeah, when I used to be on Twitter. Yeah, there was so much like uh, during like wrestling pay per views. I would it, mm-hmm. there would be so much uh, conversation about. Yeah, it's, what was happening, and I was I was so fascinated by that. It's not something that I grew up with, so I've had to kind of find on my own. And I yeah. will say this: for a person How do I who even find doesn't card for this, um, if you go to like Allstate Arena calendar, you might find it. It's I, March I mean, I'm 18th. finding the the, okay. the event, but not the. Oh, uh, oh okay. Um, anyways, I know Ronda Rousey is part of like one of them. That's why I saw, it. but. It, for this movie, though, for somebody who doesn't know anything about people in wrestling and you're just kind of learning it as they give it to you, it was very entertaining. And it made me excited about going to okay. WWE. Yeah. Um, so I I was kind of surprised that the true – I won't <laughs> – it's based on a true story. So I think people know how Paige got to be Paige. But it was it's surprising how – she became Divas champion. I'll put it that way. Um, I like, I, but I don't know. It's good. It's a fun movie. I found the page and okay. even like tangentially hearing names of wrestlers by being friends with Heather and stuff. Yeah. I think I only recognize Ronda Rousey. Oh, okay. Finn Balor I might recognize, okay. but I've never heard of Almighty Bobby Lashley. Yeah. Or Braun Strowman or yeah. Baron Corbin. Are these people from CW shows? This is the, <laughs> it's the they're having the entire cast of Gossip Girl yeah. wrestle. Bex Taylor Klaus, <laughs> V Rain Edwards, <laughs> the Hellfest Hellbash. Um, so, and then I watched the two Matrix sequels, and I've rented the Animatrix, which I've never seen, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, here's the thing with the Matrix sequels. Even though they're not, I don't think that they're particularly good, especially the third one. I could watch them over and over and over again. I find them so interesting as a case study of what if this ends in a tie? <laughs> <laughs> like, you have this big good versus evil, and it makes sense as a story that, okay, the only way this could end is a truce, but at the same time, it's not narratively satisfying right, at all. Right. Um, and you build yourself up to really like these characters. And then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know the Messiah? He's kind of the Messiah, but he's also the Messiah in the way that, like, semantic antivirus is a Messiah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. So Keanu Reeves is an antivirus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. Um, and also I think it's interesting from, like, the standpoint of – you know, let's take this action franchise and, you know, what if we kill most of your the people right, that you really right. like? And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel satisfying or interesting, especially when it comes to, like, the character of Trinity, who basically dies in a crash. 
like new- and who dies yeah once prior yeah doesn't she die and one. reload it yeah. so i just feel like it negates at the end of each mm-hmm. movie they kill someone and bring them back and then kill them for good i mean i guess yeah. spoilers for the matrix movies yeah. but like i don't know it, i just feel like it negates that beat in both of those movies it does like not a lot means really anything right. by the end of the third movie um i still think like there's some really great filmmaking going on sure. with uh especially the music and the cinematography i think I would totally be the Joe Pantoliano character, Not, it, barring the mutiny or like oh, killing okay. off people. But like the whole, I would just rather be ignorant and stay in the Matrix Got it. than be in Zion where it looks like the cold dorm at Sigma Pi and everything's <laughs> dirty and like sticky and like people have played beer pong, but they never mop the floor. And like the Zion raves, I mean, hello, that does not look fun. That looks like hepatitis <laughs> on wheels. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. 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 Um, is that it? I'm out. Okay. I'm excited because we're going to be seeing The Matrix on the big screen in a couple of weeks here. There you go. I was yeah. waiting for that plug. Yeah. 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 Um, I, so I haven't seen much outside of <laughs> – here's the deal. <laughs> I've been watching stuff uh, for like that shelf life column that Erica and I were writing. We watched nine movies for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started 1986 stuff already for a different shelf life column, so I can't talk about those. Mm-hmm. I just came off rewatching 21 Lucio Fulci movies. Wow! For a piece that I did for Bloody Disgusting, <laughs> where I ranked every one of his horror movies. Yeah, uh, The Beyond is number one. Spoilers. Okay, um, that's not necessarily too surprising. So I'm exhausted, and I haven't seen yeah. a lot that isn't. In that category, or one of those categories, yeah, I watched a movie on Amazon Prime called Killer Kate about a bachelorette party that gets invaded by some murderers, and I don't want to explain their motivation because it's actually kind of a funny reveal. Uh, that is okay. Like, I think it's worth watching if you're into low-budget sort of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um there's some stuff there's a couple there are a couple characters in there that are really funny and uh the lead is good i I think it was worth watching yeah um i showed a class memento speaking of carrie ann moss and i don't know when the last time i saw that movie was yeah i had i had a a while yeah when that came out in theaters i really liked it and then when that came out on dvd I did the thing where they said how you could watch it in order. Okay. And it's, I think it's the black and white sequences all in order first, okay. and okay. then the color sequences backwards. And it's not good that way because yeah, I don't think it would be like interesting because then like your high point is in the middle and then you're just sort right. of waiting out. Okay. All- the rest of the story. Okay. So I remember that ruined the movie for me and I've never wanted to go back and watch it. I guess if you really couldn't follow the story, yeah. that would be a way to fully understand everything that happened. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I don't think, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the hook of it, which is a very clever hook mm-hmm. is kind of the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about this the other night that it made me realize that we did wrong by Carrie Ann Moss between the matrix movies and memento. Yeah. I wish we would have seen her in more stuff. I feel like the thing is with her, she she kind of popped onto the scene at the wrong time. I think that if she came on the scene like in the 80s, or early 90s, there were a lot of more directors who would know how to use her better. Maybe. 
Um, cause I definitely see her as like the type who would wind up in like bad girls or like Walter Hill movies or like, I would be fine with any or of that. like rapid fire two or something like You're that. You're making my head explode right <laughs> see what now. I'm saying? I can't even yeah. take it. Yeah. It always bums me out. And we've had this conversation before, probably on the podcast where there are so many actresses who you watch and it's kind of like a, whatever happened to dot, dot, dot. Yeah. We're going to because talk about a lot of those. You tonight. get this window, and if you don't explode mm-hmm. out of that window, you become whatever happened to dot dot dot. It's strange because even and this is like a half formed idea, but I think like male leads get all the chances oh my in the gosh, world. Forget it. But female leads almost get treated more like character actors, where they have like a yep. window of about five years. Yep. And then if they don't, like, make it to the big, so to speak, then then that's it. And then even – all right, sorry for another baseball analogy, but it's, like, female actresses – like, okay, you look at, like, Erin Brock – or Julia Roberts. It's, like, she's, like, you know – Mike Trout or something like that, like the best player in baseball right now. Got it. But then when Mike Trout gets to like 31 years old, people are like, I don't know. He's kind of old. We probably shouldn't give him a contract anymore. And then like he has to basically beg for a job for like the next 20 years. And that's sort of how I feel actresses are treated, especially stars too. Because it's weird. Like they almost always don't crash and burn out like male actors do. They just sort of somebody decides that their time is up. Yeah, and then no that's men get it. unlimited yeah. chances and can be stars into their seventies. Yeah, and yeah, women age out by like thirty because yeah. now you can no longer play the love interest of a guy twice your age, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Why can't Susan Sarandon be the mule? Right. Thank you. I would have seen that movie. Yeah. If especially for the threesome scenes, um, <laughs> I. It just it bumps me out, and there's so many actresses who we could point to and say there's those yeah. five years where like oh remember when like mm-hmm. Saffron Burroughs was almost a thing mm-hmm. remember Carrie Ann Moss and yeah we're gonna talk about a bunch of those people because yeah we're talking about movies that are 20 years old. Speaking of which, let's talk about some movies that are 20 years old. I'm excited. Me too. Um, Do you have any overarching thoughts of 1999 movies from watching just these 1999 movies? Do you- I, I think 1999 was the closest we've ever gotten to the 1970s. Yes. From watching these movies. Yes. Which I realize have very little structure <laughs> and are willing to yeah. just hang out for two and a half hours mm-hmm. and like be a little bit messy and mm-hmm. uh, be sometimes morally ambiguous. And um, yeah, I mean, we've talked up 99 for so many years. Yeah. Like I think this was the last great year for movies. Not that there haven't been mm-hmm. great years since, but like, I don't think it's ever been topped in my lifetime. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I, I was one of those people who forgot how good 1999 was uh-huh. until I sat and watched nine of them in a row. The I was always like, oh, 94 was really good. 97 was really good. And they were really good. But like 99, it's like, I don't know. It's like I blocked out just how great they Even were. Even the bad stuff was good. Even the bad stuff. I mentioned it to you the other day. It's like every director, when they were lining up what their 1999 project would be, like in 97 or 98, right. Right. they were like, well, what is the thing that I, if it's the last movie I ever make, like what would I want to make? Right. And that's what they did because it's like, okay. and I've noticed like the last year of 
of decades tends to be pretty good. Like 89, I think, was a pretty solid year for movies. And then 99, of course. 2009 had a lot of great stuff, like yeah. Inglorious Bastards yeah. and The Hurt Locker and the Avatar. Avatar, and like thank that. you. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like a lot of people are like, okay, like I want something that's sort of a defining movie for the decade. So um, the thing that's great about it is it extended to movies that should just be programmers so to speak right right but um where where do you want to start well so we uh adam picked five i picked four yeah and there's no real rhyme or reason to what we picked right just kind of yeah. like i feel like rewatching this i feel like talking about this mm-hmm. i didn't put a ton of thought i just scrolled through what came yeah. out in 99 i was like this 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 and this um so go ahead and pick any of yours to start because you've got five okay um so the first one that i picked was let's see was eyes wide shut was one of my picks right yeah okay so i'll go with eyes wide shut all right so starting us off easy thanks you're welcome (laughs) no i think we're starting us off it's like the number one track on an album (laughs) there you go although this should be more like the last track on an album where it's like okay anyways (laughs) sorry guys you could put on shuffle you could put these movies on shuffle so if you choose all right one thing i'll say about before i get an eyes wide shut another thing and this is so this is such an adam risky bozo thought but i watched a lot of these movies on my original 1999 or 2000 dvds that i own interesting okay and for whatever reason i loved watching them that way rather than like cleaned up in some kind of hd copy they felt like i was watching them on film or something it was weird it was like watch eyes wide shut that way i watched that on like a disc that was produced in 06 but it was a dvd is it still one three three? I don't or is it widescreen? I think it's widescreen. Okay. The original DVD was one three three oh, full yeah. frame. Yeah, then it was widescreen. And it was like that's how that's what Kubrick wanted. I remember buying it the day it came out, bringing it home, and yeah. like, what is this shit? Yeah. 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 So Eyes Wide Shut is a movie that when I saw it, I saw it opening night in ninety nine. Me too. I didn't I I was really uh into Kubrick at the time. That was um you know I was working at Blockbuster. I was going back and re and renting like Clockwork Orange in 2001 and I had grown up on The Shining and Full Metal Jacket and everything. So I was really well versed in his movies, but I don't think that I was old enough at 17 to really kind of get the whole picture with Eyes Wide Shut. And at the time, I thought it was like that fun, creepy, weird movie. Um, and it very much is that in a lot of ways. Um, I think that it definitely has horror elements to it, like a lot of nightmare type of logic. That, uh, I mean, the whole middle section yeah. when he first gets to the party yeah, is the music. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That th- it's like it just keeps repeating and it is a nightmare. And just every mask on every party yes. goer is oh threatening. <laughs> yes. Like, I can't believe anybody wants to bone. <laughs> like, when you see, like, all these masks, yeah. it's just like, it's terrifying. But it's a movie that I really went from liking to loving to in, um, I think like two or three years ago, the music box did a week of Stanley Kubrick movies. It was around Christmas. It was like their Christmas to New Year's. And I saw Eyes Wide Shut on Christmas Day in the evening. And I watched it in the theater again. And the thing that I love the most about this movie is the use of color. Mm-hmm. Like every, like the lighting mm-hmm. and the back coloring and the color processing that they did with the film like there's certain scenes where like at the party you'll see um 
you know, just like the background, like it's a, it, it's normal lighting, but then like it's backlit and like all cool blue right, and right. things like that. And it's just so interesting to look at from that regard. Um, I think that there's a, I don't know. I really love the, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place That's on okay. this movie, but um, I really like kind of the power balance in the movie between Cruz and Kidman, I think in an interesting way where it's, He's literally doing the things that she's sort of dreaming about right, doing, right. but he's not consummating them and she is consummating them. And it's kind of like, which is more hurtful? Yeah. Um, you know, and is it that, and is the decision to disclose these things to your partner more hurtful or less hurtful? Because you're supposed to be completely honest with your partner, but like also you don't want to be necessarily going out of your way to hurt them yeah. too. So I find like that balance really interesting. I think Nicole Kidman is such a perfect choice for a Stanley Kubrick actor mm -hmm. because she really uh, and Tom Cruise's performance is a performance that I like too in this movie. But I think she is the superstar of the movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. And just especially in that scene where she's telling him the dream that mm -hmm. she had about the naval or the day, the fantasy she had about the naval officer, just her pacing of delivering the information for like maximum pain <laughs> for him is so <laughs> measured and reminds you of like the way that people would talk in Kubrick movies, yeah. just out of that very deliberate pace. So I got more to say, but I wanted to let you No, I, I remember seeing it, yeah. you know, it was a summer movie. Yeah. In 1999, and I saw it opening night, and it was at the AMC that we go to mm -hmm. in the big theater. Yeah. I mean, it was like a block, but it was treated like a blockbuster. Yeah. And rewatching it, we watched it like over two days, and so Erica and I finished it today. And it gets, and I guess spoilers for Eyes Wide Shut, it gets to that ending in the last line, mm -hmm. and I just was remembering the crowd sort of revolting, just like okay. what was that? You know, because everybody yeah. went to see them because they're married or mm -hmm. because of like the sex stuff or because it was Kubrick's last film and that had been publicized. And so there are all these reasons that people went and I don't think the majority of the audience knew what they were getting into. Yeah. I feel like they were expecting like a Bertolucci type of movie where it's good. Like the sex even, was right there maybe, on the screen. Yeah. yeah. By the way, the version that I watched, which was just like a on voodoo, uh, was totally the censored. I know you had said the other night that you watched the uncensored, not yeah. even on purpose, but yeah. just it happened to be the, the version I saw was the censored version, and it is an embarrassment. Yeah. Um. So at the time, I was like, I liked that. I'm interested. I probably don't get it, which is how I was mm -hmm. about so many Kubrick movies for mm -hmm. the longest time. I just assumed I didn't understand them. But it was a movie that I found myself always wanting to go back to. Yeah. Um, I just like having it on. I like the vibe of the whole thing. Even if I don't, because as it's playing, Erica and I are like, all right, so is is this part a dream? Is the whole movie a dream? Like we're trying to sort of mm. analyze it. And I've never read Trom Novelle. I don't know exactly, you know, the source material, but um, we were kind of trying to understand it, pieces of it at least, logically, and you almost can't. You just yeah. have to have it on and like feel it and let it wash over mm -hmm. you. I thought the last scene in the toy store, that scene kind of wrecked me. Um, yeah. It's it's really something. And yeah, I was watching it saying like, hey, I wonder why. I, I totally agree with you. Nicole Kidman is the superstar of this movie. Mm -hmm. And again, the fact that she 
probably wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Certainly didn't no, win because this, this got was... nominated for one Oscar, and it was like one of those tech That's ones. It was bananas. really weird. I know it was yeah. a movie that was not particularly well liked at the time. Yeah, and you know has only grown in people's estimation in years mm-hmm. since. But I watched it wondering, like, hey, why do people say Tom Cruise is a bad actor? Because he's mm-hmm. really good in that movie. Yeah. And again, actively working. He has this in Magnolia in the same year. It's crazy. And he's actively yeah. playing against his entire movie star persona. Like, yeah. pushing back on everything that people say is what a Tom... Or, or deconstructing. Mm-hmm. Like, because both characters are charismatic, handsome, charming swinging dicks and mm-hmm. then it's like oh, okay but underneath it it's this this and this and i just think that's so interesting i i think they're both really good mm-hmm. i fucking love Sidney pollock as an actor yes so much more than as a director yeah even though i like some of his movies yeah. but I, and i know he was harvey Keitel originally mm-hmm. but so what's the deal did they shoot their stuff or did it just get pushed back to where they couldn't shoot their stuff him and jennifer jason lee I I don't know entirely. I think okay. I know that they had to leave to do other things. Right. Like she had to do Existens and I think it was maybe could she was supposed to play the part of Marie Richardson. Right. Which um, is just the one scene. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think maybe they shot part of it or something yeah. and then like they just couldn't stay anymore. Okay. Um but yeah, Sidney Pollack is the only reason I think why his scene at the end works. Because okay. I think that is, and maybe it's working in a dream type of way. Because every, I, I don't know if you have, I've had dreams before where it's like somebody will just kind of be explaining something to you, like, and it's very literal. Um, so I don't know if that scene is meant to be a dream or if it's meant to be real. The way I interpret it when I watched it this time was more just kind of everything was literal that was supposed to be okay. literal. Okay. Um, but uh, I think because everything, especially for a Kubrick movie where everything, where like motivations and things like that are very hidden, mm-hmm. I think he could have very easily gotten away with that where like this kind of you know sneaking danger is happening but he decides to explain it all and i think the reason why it works as well as it does is because that scene is so it's like 14 minutes yeah. and it's so well acted yeah um and i agree with you like sydney pollock this and i love him in changing lanes yeah so good yeah. in that movie also and yeah it's a real shame that he died like pretty pretty early in his life um in the early 2000s so yeah um but yeah this this movie is really um i think it's going back to tom cruise he in that opening scene at the at the party at sydney pollock's house yeah he's still tom cruise movie right. star right and the rest of the movie is that male thing that you've heard so many times in the past couple of years where a man's biggest fear is people laughing at him Mm -hmm. and like how that just completely throws him off of his axis. And that's what this movie is. It's like him just sort of clawing back to his status level and everything. The running joke of him flashing his doctor ID to everyone he can that has to be a dream, though. Cause, like, I it loved it. I loved um, the thing that I noticed, and I'm Kubrick is too smart of a filmmaker for this just to be kind of like a weird, like he didn't think this through type yeah. of thing. Is he's got like an endless wallet of cash? Have you sure. noticed that? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's just yeah. he must have like 
It's interesting, and I don't, I don't yeah. want to get uh, too personal or revealing, sure. but any dream that I've ever had, I feel like, that was like of a sexual nature mm-hmm. was like this movie, where like it, it never happens. Yeah. It, you know, there may be a buildup, there may be like a conversation, and it's mm-hmm. like, ooh, sex is going to happen, and yeah. then it never does. Yeah. So I just, scene after scene, I thought it was so interesting, the different mm-hmm. ways that they found to sort of deny him that and i don't mean deny him like he's owed that i mean um that he thinks that he needs to do this to sort of regain his mm-hmm. his ego if nothing else because he feels like oh well my wife wanted to sleep with someone else so i'm going to show her yeah um what do you make of like the hiv thing i think it's uh I mean, this was late 90s, so it was more in the early 90s and in the 80s where people were just even scared of consensual right. like uh, sex um, because AIDS was such a, an issue. Um, I think it's more just like the staying in your lane type of thing with monogamy. I think it's okay. that. I think it's like the danger of going outside of your marriage and sleeping around. Well, think about, I mean, is there another Kubrick movie that has any eroticism in it? Maybe Barry Lyndon a little bit, okay. like at the beginning. Because I just think this movie yeah. is so afraid of sex, almost in the yeah. way that like David Cronenberg's Crash yeah. is afraid of sex. Because think about how scary the orgy scene is. Yeah, yeah, I it's mean, it's all about making sex scary, and that was sort of the HIV thing. Is like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, by the way, this could give you a disease that'll kill you. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, this movie's really great. On it, it works in the way the best movies do, where it's you. You could read like a Wikipedia summary of it, and it doesn't give you the experience. It's all in the filmmaking and yes. all in the acting and everything. And I feel like what that's our friend Elric that, refers to as pure cinema. It is. I was trying to avoid that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's an apt description. It though, is a very you know? apt description. It's, it's a meal of a movie, which I love. And so many movies from 1999 where like, you just feel like you really had a good evening of watching something substantial and interesting. And, um, yeah, it's it's a movie of his too that I feel is more optimistic than most of his movies too. Okay. I think that um I I really love the like we were talking you were talking about the line at the end and of course like the little button that she puts on it is perfect and that's like the thing that's remembered the most. I also really like leading up to that where he says He's like so trying to convince her to commit to the forever mm-hmm. part. And she goes, let's not say that. That's a scary word. And I think that's so kind of beautiful in a weird way because it's not that she's saying, I'm not as committed as you are. It's just by saying, well, maybe forever is too much of a, uh, it's too much of a weight on us right now. Right. Like, let's take this in smaller pieces because I'm protective of what we have. And I don't think it can withstand that expectation. And it's, um, yeah, it's just a really interesting, good movie about a mature marriage that reached a really bad spot. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's a, yeah, it's not like a puppy dog love type thing. It's like, this is the before midnight. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
It's, um, you know, someday we might do a whole podcast on it. I don't feel smart enough to tackle it, which is how I feel about most Kubrick. I'm just like, I'm yeah. intimidated. But, um, ooh, shit. Might do a whole podcast on it. Nope, I lost it. Oh, well. I'm fascinated by <laughs> yeah. the structure of it, and uh, and that's something that's going to come up multiple times, I think, mm-hmm. on this episode is like, it is... I won't say shapeless, but it has a very non-traditional structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously this is set up as sort of this odyssey, right? It's Tom Cruise can't get laid, the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a, sort of these little episodes where he tries and fails. But, man, every time we get – you know, I've seen it maybe four or five times. Mm-hmm. My memory is always that, like, the big orgy is, like, end of act two. Oh yeah, that's how I and usually it's remember it. Not too. you know, it's yeah. like an hour into, it's the, like movie. Halfway into yeah, the movie. It's yeah, it's like what the hell is going to happen after this? Yeah, there's so much that follows it. Yeah, it's like the bar scene in Inglorious Bastards. It's like this right. big, like important right. centerpiece. But then the rest of the movie, and there's so much of the movie it. right that's in reaction to it, and yeah. it's not building up to it. My memory is that the movie builds to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this movie's uh, whatever happened to Lily Sobieski? Yes. Who was a movie star for a few years and Mm. then kind of went away. Again, maybe by choice. I don't know her Mm. life. Maybe she got fed up with Hollywood. But it was one of those things where that movie here on Earth has been showing up on cable. And I'm like, I remember seeing that in a theater. And her and Chris Klein and Hartnett? Yes. Okay. Like somehow they could open a movie. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that would happen these days. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if it did, it would be a Nicholas Sparks type movie. Yes. Like that, because it's a brand, right. and that's right. the only yeah, way you right. can get that movie right. out. Yeah. So, all right, what's your first Uh My first pick? one, I'm going to start with the one that I think disappointed me the most on okay. this rewatch. Yeah. And that is Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. Which I know has a, a devoted cult following now, mm-hmm. and people really love it. And so I'm not here to shit talk it. But it was very interesting, because I remember seeing it, Summer 99, again, no matter what you went to see, it was like, well, that was good, or that was interesting. I saw this as a double feature with Deep Blue Sea, another movie that mm-hmm. is beloved a little bit too ironically, maybe, mm-hmm. um, but is good at being what it is and is fun yeah. and is better than it probably should have been, right? It's um, better than most of the Jaws sequels, and I think that's about as much as you can ask. Right, and it's like shark movie. Yeah. you go into it expecting a really dumb shark movie and yeah. you get a movie that knows that it's a really dumb shark movie and sort of embraces that yeah it is not my favorite killer animal movie of summer of 99 i will say that okay i have one i like better all right um i think i know what it is yeah i'm not gonna i'm say. sure you do yeah. um uh, yeah anyway so and the then i saw soldier the return and then i saw <laughs> drop dead gorgeous which at the time i remember really liking and i was excited because it's directed by michael patrick jan and as a big fan of the state mm-hmm. um and at that point, the people from the state were not everywhere, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so it had just – it was this show that I loved and then went away and it wasn't really in reruns and you could, there was like one VHS that existed. So I was like, I needed a fix. And here's this movie directed by Michael Patrick Jan and sort of Thomas Lennon plays the off-screen interviewer. And I was like, well, this is, this is people from the state. This mm-hmm. is going to be so good. And I remember thinking it was really funny, really dark. And it still is funny and really dark, and there's still a lot of stuff I like about it. But watching it this time made me realize I have gotten old. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was at the midpoint of my life so far. Yeah. And uh, now I'm, you know, 41, and 
I just can't be on board as much with the attitude of like, haha, fuck everyone. Yeah. They live in trailers and they're trash and mm -hmm. they're stupid and everyone sucks uh, except Kirsten Dunst. You yeah. Know? Um, but even that is just like, there's kind of a joke on her because she just keeps failing upwards. Right. And apparently they thought the whole Diane Sawyer thing was really funny. Because yeah. my goodness, do they repeat that a lot. Yeah. There's still some stuff that I laughed at really hard that I felt bad about laughing really hard at. The okay. Diana Ross lip syncing number near the end of the film. Who, who lip syncs um, The girl in the wheelchair. Oh, okay. All right. I laughed really hard at that. Okay. I think mostly okay. because she had the nurse just pushing her around the whole time. Okay. It's again. It's a just a really dark joke, and yeah. I don't think it's as funny anymore to just shit on everything. Yeah, which this movie does. Yeah. Um. So I said when we were talking a couple of days ago that Mumford was the. Oops, sorry. Shit. Oh no, that's fine. Sorry, we're gonna talk about we're, Mumford. Mumford's coming up. We're talking about Mumford later. That's the only one of these that I had not seen. What I got about ten minutes into Drop Dead Gorgeous, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this either. Like, really? I okay. saw maybe like scenes of it, but okay. I've never seen the whole thing. Doesn't Music Box do this as like a midnight show now? They did once, and okay. I remember I went the same night to see uh, Yellow Submarine. That was like in theater two. Interesting. Sadly, but okay. Drop Dead Gorgeous. So the music box, the main theater seats like 800 people. Yeah, it's huge. And there was probably like 802 people like there to see Drop Dead Gorgeous. For real? It was like a party. It no was kidding. crazy. Wow. So yeah, when you say that this movie has a cult following, you are not wrong. Like yeah. this movie has a devoted base to it. Um, I really didn't like it. Okay. Um, and For I, the reasons that I'm talking about? Mostly. Okay. Yeah. I don't – it, it depends. Like, I, I – it, it's, it's such a – comedy is such a fickle thing because I can't even be as declarative as saying, like, well, I just don't think I'm a satire person because there are certain satires that, like, Dr. Strangelove really works for me where, like – or it's, you know, I can't say like, oh, it's too silly because like a wet, hot American summer really works for me. But like this one, for whatever reason, I think a lot of it had to do with the, everyone, they, everybody in this movie are, is a character that the filmmakers hate. So like, right. I don't right. want to spend time with them. Like, I don't like the point of view. I don't like the people in the movie, like not the actors, but I mean like the characters that they're playing. Um, so I found it a really just kind of a drag to get yeah. through. Um, it was, it was not a fun watch. Um, I obviously like, you know, the PC police would eat this alive nowadays in a lot of ways, which is the point. Yeah. And I know that it's yeah. like, haha, aren't we edgy? Aren't we pushing buttons? Yeah. I guess you are, you know? Uh, yeah. It, it reminded me obviously of like Christopher guest movies, but I like those better because I feel like those people are coming from, whether it's in Waiting for Guffman, like community theater or dog shows, I think they're coming from it where the characters like really kind of love what they're doing. Whereas I, I think, think he's on their side. Yeah. And I don't, these filmmakers are not on the sides of these characters again, except yeah. for maybe Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Who does kind of shine through like, like mm -hmm. a, like a, like sunshine in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the cast is great. Like it's a very good cast. I mean, like, Amy Adams. Yeah. It, it made me it, miss Brittany Murphy. I was about to say the yeah. that exact sentence. Yeah. Like I saw and I the scene where she can't stop laughing. Yeah. 
I don't really know. great. Just some of like the faces that she yeah. makes, it like really made me miss her. I feel yeah. like the the push to make her a leading lady was not where I wanted to see her mm-hmm. because when she became the star of like Uptown Girls and just Little married. Black Book and Just Married, it was yeah. like they kind of stripped away everything that was funny or interesting about her. Mm-hmm. I feel like she was always better in character parts and she was really good in character parts. Yeah. It, I had the exact same thought watching this movie was that it, I really missed Brittany Murphy. Yeah. That was my, my big takeaway. Like whenever she was like, cause I was definitely having moments where I was not disengaged, but I just was kind of like, Ugh, I would just want this to be over. And then, like, she would come up and I would be like, oh, okay, like, I'd, I'd be a little bit more into it. Um, I think it's ridiculous that Allison Janney won an Oscar for I, Tanya when she's playing the exact same part in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Like, that, yeah. like I'm not a fan of I, Tanya, but, like, that, when I saw that, I was just like, really? Like, we could have given it to her for Juno or something? Like, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Kirsten Dunst, obviously. So like, that's a a, a joy. But um, I don't know. I'd rather just what, of her ninety nine to two, early two thousands era era. I still think Get Over It is like the 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 gold standard. Uh, yeah, Get Over It is yeah. is half of a great movie. Yeah, and half of a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, so I apologize to the fans of Dropped Dead Yeah, I mean, comedy is so yeah. subjective, yeah. and we are admitting that, hey, it's just not for us. And at one point, mm-hmm. it was for me, and I just, I realized my tastes have changed. Yeah. It's not that I was offended by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I get what it's doing. It's just, it presents a worldview that I just can't really get on board with anymore and don't really find all that funny i think if you kept a lot of the same jokes and you just changed the attitude and made this movie sort of like these people despite Mm -hmm. some of the things that happened i think that's a very different movie there's a few movies from 99 um that we're not talking about tonight but i've referred to them as like a young person's movie okay and so like fight club i called like a young man's movie yeah um, where it like could mean the world to you at a certain age, but then you get a little older and you're like, okay. Um, uh, and then like, or like American Beauty is also like, oh boy, yeah, you're, you know, you're describing me in '99. Like if you never saw Ordinary People right. and like you saw or American a movie, Beauty, yeah, uh, it could be like the suburbs are a big lie. It's like stuff like that. Um, but uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, I think, is like if you we're watching this and you were like in an improv troupe in high school and stuff like this. It could be your favorite movie. And like, that's why, um, while I'm, while I'm keeping track of all the stuff that I'm watching, uh, this year, like I give things letter grades and I've noticed with the exception of one movie, I've never given an, I haven't given anything this year lower than a C minus. Okay. And I gave drop dead gorgeous a C and it's, I, I really didn't like it, but I think like, it's not bad in what it's trying to do. Right. It's just it's right. not something that I like. Right, right, right. Um, so what's the movie that got lower than a C minus? Things to do in Denver when you're oh, dead. that's the future worst. episode, everyone. Yeah, future. that's the worst movie I've seen all year so far. Few, oh, well, it's because you haven't watched some of those other ones yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Future episode, everyone. Yeah. Um, not that movie, but part of a part <laughs> yeah. of a part of a bigger discussion. We were working on a project and we put it aside. For, for the, for the <laughs> we got to watch 1999 yeah. movies, and yeah. that's been way more fun even though they're all fucking two and a half hours long yeah no kidding even the ones that are supposed to be like 90 minutes are 112 yes, minutes <laughs> come on blast from the past <laughs> we're gonna be talking about blast from the past <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
guess we keep doing that. Uh, yeah. All right. So what's next for you? Okay. Um, I will go with. I'm trying to think of what to save for later. So I'll go with. All right. October Sky. All right. Next. So um, this movie is one of those movies that I tend to keep at an arm's distance normally because it's one of those movies where, like, the studio will have to do like four consecutive weeks of sneak previews to twist your arm to go see it <laughs> to get the awards, to get the word, to get the good reviews, to get the word of mouth because they know it's fucking homework. But then, like, when I sit down and watch it. At first, I'm just like, oh, man, like, I don't feel like watching this 50s, 60s set thing again, and I don't care about this or that. But then about halfway through the movie, I just completely fall under its spell. This was the second time I watched it. I remember the first time I saw it, it was on DVD, and I bought the movie, like, right after I watched it. And... um called I've called it NASA graffiti before <laughs> because it's but I think the story is really sweet and interesting and I think they do a very good job of um so to set up the plot of October Sky it's telling the true story of Homer Hickam is Hickam right mm-hmm. yeah Homer Hickam who um was a teenager in West Virginia in the early 60s and he I uh, lived in a coal miner town. The entire coal, the entire town was was a coal town. So it was based off of that industry where every man who didn't leave on a football scholarship basically went into the mines to work, and it was just generation after generation. So a lot of these kids, their last real moment of happiness or freedom is in their early high school mm-hmm. years, because some of them would have to leave high school to like support their family and go work in the mine. So I think the movie is really good in conveying that this is just like purgatory basically like you are like you have nothing to look forward to. So like there's this even the the sky it's not the October sky but like <laughs> even the sky it's just like it's always gray and right. kind of gross looking and everything. Um so I think the movie's really good in that. Um I think if it wasn't for the cast, this particular cast, this movie might not have been as effective for me. Sure. Because I think uh, this was Jake Gyllenhaal's like first lead performance. Right. And he's just... Because right. Bubble Boy is shortly after, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that was like... Was that 99? or No, it might have been 2000 or 2001. Okay. Bubble Boy's got a lot of Drop Dead Gorgeous in it. Does it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think he's really... He's always like an actor of like great conviction. Yeah. Very earnest. Very earnest um, and likable. Um, this is like the better of the two Chris Cooper 99 performances between this and American Beauty. Yeah. Um, it does fall under cliches where it's like, you know, will my dad go to my school play at the end and stuff like that. Yeah. I really love Laura Dern in this movie. Um, I love her in every movie because she's <laughs> Laura Dern. But like the thing that I don't give enough credit to with Laura Dern is just she is like old movie star grace like you just yeah she brings so much with her to any performance where you know she's the science teacher in this movie and the one who kind of inspires jake gyllenhaal to follow his interest in in building rockets and uh yeah i mean like if you cast it with you know a different actress like she you know that actress is gonna have to make up for a certain amount but like laura dern's persona brings a lot to it so um it's a movie that 
still, even on the second time, the combination of the performances, the combination of like kind of the sentimental story and the music and everything, it works for me in that regard. Yeah, it was my first time seeing it. You had picked two movies that I had never seen, so um, I was happy to finally check it out. And it's one of those that like, it's a movie I can't really say anything bad about mm-hmm. and that I probably wouldn't revisit. Yep. You know, it was like, hey, everybody did their job very mm-hmm. well there. Yeah. Um, that is a well put together movie. It's mm-hmm. it's cool to see Joe Johnson doing a different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, again, ninety nine. We're putting a movie about kids building rockets into theaters. Yeah. <laughs> and we're gonna set it in the nineteen sixties because why not? Uh, I know that's when it happened, but it's just it's fascinating to me the movies that got mm-hmm. made. You know that got released in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting story. Not a a subject I had really seen covered in a movie before mm-hmm. the, the, the drawback for me is the Chris Cooper character. And again, mm-hmm. if this is Homer Hickam's real dad, if this was really their relationship, I can't fault the movie for depicting that. Yeah. But, um, he just, he's, he's one thing over and over again. Yeah. And he's a thing we've seen in a lot of movies. And he's even a thing we've seen in a lot of movies that Chris Cooper has been in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just felt like that, and that was kind of the central relationship of the movie was the one between him and his dad and the kind of push and pull. And yeah. are you going to be this coal town or are you going to get out and are you going to come see me launch a rocket or aren't you? And um, it, it's a little bit familiar and I felt repetitive beyond that. And Chris Cooper does a fine job. It's not – again, it's not – nobody's to blame. Um But beyond that, yeah, I thought everything was really well done. I really like what you said about Laura Dern too. Yeah. The the Chris Cooper character, I think, is it, it's yeah, like you said, it, it is one thing. I think like the the thing that I admire about it, I maybe not the performance as much as I'm just talking about the character, is you could tell that this is a guy who he can't say it or he can't even put into words what it really is, but it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character going off and being interested in rocking, uh, rockets and wanting to leave the town, it sort of is in his uh, in Chris Cooper's character's eyes, criticizing his existence. It's a rejection of him. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm not good enough for you. This life isn't good enough for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think like the the Jake Gyllenhaal character kind of knowing that he has to sort of meet his dad halfway in a certain way and see it through his eyes and perspective is i don't know i find i found it really sweet because mm-hmm. just it's the sort of father and son thing where it's like you're so different and then you kind of are working your way into figuring out you know what kind of man you are and the moment that they share late in the film where jake mm-hmm. gyllenhaal kind of articulates some of that yeah it's a really good scene i didn't totally feel like the movie had earned it a hundred percent okay because I don't know that I saw that in in their relationship. Mm-hmm. I, again, I guess spoilers for October Sky. Jake Gyllenhaal says, "You're my hero," basically, or you know, he's it not does, my hero. It does feel like it's missing a scene in between. Yeah, yeah, where because I haven't really seen that. Yeah, um, in their relationship, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a nice scene. Yeah, it's a nice sentiment. Yep, it's a good movie. Yeah, 
It is. It's, it's not one of the best movies of 1999. No, but it's but just it's a good. Movie. Good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again, this was a year where you just went in to see something and you came out and it was good. Every mm-hmm. movie should be as good as October Sky. If you were a movie critic at the paper, you would run out of three stars to give things. <laughs> you might. <laughs> Until you started accidentally giving four stars to yeah. all those movies you were mentioning earlier, which I totally did. Like my top 10 of 99 is probably an embarrassment. Yeah. My top 10 of 99 is very movie. high. Yeah. Yeah. But so is Three Kings, and that's a great fucking movie. So see, that's one I need to go revisit because I've never had that that viewing of it where okay. it's really been the one that I've fallen in love with. That movie knocked me on my ass the okay. first time I saw it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, you're up. Uh, what am I up with? Well, I, we already mentioned it. Let's talk Blast from the Past, which okay. is the comedy version of October Sky, yeah. which is like, yeah. that was good. That was charming. <laughs> that shouldn't have been good. That was some weird, cheap new line comedy starring Brendan Fraser. Sure. Like, nothing about this should work. And yet, it's very sweet and mm-hmm. very goofy. And Brendan Fraser is wonderful, mm-hmm. I think, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, Alicia Silverstone, of course. Whatever happened to dot dot dot? Right, mm-hmm. this is her movie. Uh, Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek playing his parents. The 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 thing is, they think there's a an atomic bomb launched from Cuba. Yeah. Um, in the 1960s, and they go down into this very fancy bomb shelter that Christopher Walken has built, and uh, they have a son down there, and they remain down there for 35 years. And then have to come up for supplies. And so they, Brendan Fraser goes out to get supplies and kind of gets stuck um, in the real world for a little while because he can't find his way back home. It's the fish out of water. Right. Story. And so Lisa yeah. Silverstone is helping him navigate uh, modern day 1999 life. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously he is unlike anyone else because he has manners and he's uh, polite and sweet and uh, – it's just a goofy ass movie that I agree is too long. It has no business being, I think, 112 minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I find it very, very charming and uh, very funny. So I did say, like, oh, well, this type of movie should be 90 minutes and this one's 112. Yeah. Honestly, I could watch this for like 212 <laughs> minutes. Like, I, I, it took me, this was my second time watching it. Yeah. The first time I saw it was, um, I rented it from Blockbuster, and I remember I watched it overnight after I saw The Blair Witch Project because it scared me so much that I couldn't go to sleep. Interesting. And then I watched Blast from the Past. Um, So it was like summer of 99, and this came out in early 99. Um, And at the time, I liked it, but then just never thought about it again. And then this time, um, I was amazed on how long they took setting up the premise at the beginning. Yeah. And how much they're committed to honoring that because so much of this any like 99 out of 100 versions of this movie that would be two three minutes and then like right. it would just be we gotta get him to go, brennan we gotta get to him and Alicia Silverstone. Angeles, right. but just the thought that they put into the shelter and like all the details of living this life were really funny and i loved um I love Sissy Spacek in this movie where she's just gradually going into like, becoming an alcoholic. There's an amazing scene where she gets very <laughs> nervous or upset about something. I can't remember mm-hmm. what. I think it's when Christopher Walken is like describing what the world is like. Oh, yeah, and the she mutants just, and stuff. And yeah. she just starts cleaning. Yeah. She doesn't know what else to do, so she just starts scrubbing the sink. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this little detail that she's doing that's so funny. Yeah. The two of them are really funny in the movie. Yeah, and, Bre- and Brendan Fraser, you can't say enough good things about 
his comedic timing. He, he became and stuff. such a laughing stock. It's unfair. I don't. I don't totally understand what. I, I yeah. know he made a lot of shit movies. Right? Yeah, like Furry Vengeance is nobody's yeah. idea of yeah. a classic. But you watch him in something like this, and yeah. he's so good at it. And I don't know who else mm-hmm. could do what he does. There's not many people. I mean, like I loved when. He's just like, when I go up there, mom, can I meet a girl? And she's just like, yeah, of course. He's like, I've been thinking about it for like the past 15 years. But like just the way that he says it is so like sweet. Um, It's – I I really dug it. I like that Alicia Silverstone is playing a different kind of romantic lead than she did in Clueless. It's like a different character. And she's equally good at doing both. So it's it's nice to see that. And I just miss her being in stuff. Like, I'd never... Although I'm kind of calling bullshit on myself because I could have watched her show American Woman with Mina Suvari and I did not do that. That wasn't a show? Yeah, it was on like TNT or something. That's one season. That completely... Yeah. Suvari, another whatever happened to exactly. Right? Yeah. Dave Foley is on hand as like what would be like the sassy gay friend in a worse movie because yeah. he is the sassy gay friend. Yeah, but he has a lot of really good jokes. He's very funny. He's I and love he that really his... likes Brendan Fraser. Yeah, like, I love that his voice is like a kids in the hall. Yes. One of his kids in the hall characters, and I love that just the scene where he's like. He's like, he called me a gentleman, and I looked it up, and it's very complimentary. And then he's just like, <laughs> I love that. I love the fact that so much of the plot around the the cur- the, uh, the money part of the plot is right. surrounded about baseball cards. Yes. Because I just, I grew, as somebody who grew up collecting baseball cards, I just think it's whenever I see stuff like that in a movie, I'm just like, this is so funny. Um, and there's just enough yeah. satire in the movie about sort of the changing decades as, oh, as, that, yeah, as represented motif. by yeah. Joey Slotnick owning He's the really cafe. Funny. And every decade, it's something different. And then a cult of worshippers begins to develop <laughs> yeah. around yeah. the people that appear out of the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Can I have this bar? <laughs> or, or can I buy this bar off from you? You can just have it. Yeah. I love um, the uh, – I, I love that new line. And I – I wasn't clubbing in the 90s, really. I went to, like, the under-18 Club X that was in, <laughs> never, in never been. suburban Chicago. Okay. They had cages. Oh, all right. And pop. <laughs> so, That's soda for the rest of the country. They should have called that place Cages and Pop. I, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but New Line apparently thinks that every club in the 90s is the Coco Bongo. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. There's the Coco Bongo, and then in this one, it's like Club 40s, and yeah. they're playing like Cherry Pop and Daddy's music. Right. And I love that Zoot scene, though. Music. I love the whole dance number. There's not, nothing not to love in that yeah. scene. I love the whole thing where Nathan Fillion just keeps getting punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and Brendan Fraser's so apologetic about yeah. it. Like, he doesn't want to keep doing it. Yeah. He's such a nice guy. It's just a really... God, I miss New Line so much. Yeah. That logo comes out at the beginning, and yeah. I'm just... Oh, it makes me so sad. Yeah, it's like a warm hug. It's great. And this, and this again, it was one of those 99 movies that mm-hmm. like I went to because it opened yeah. and I had no expectations because I'm like, what is this Brendan Fraser time travel comedy or something? And I come mm. out of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so surprisingly wonderful. Yeah. I like um, how this is the same final scene basically as Minority Report. <laughs> Where they're just like, we set them up somewhere where they'll be safe and we'll slowly acclimate them back into life. But Christopher Walken has one of my favorite lines, which yeah. is like Brendan Fraser when he goes, but I'm asking you to trust me. 
without knowing why. Oh, because yeah. Go, in that case, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so great. I love when they're at the table and they just start doing that popping, like, finger snap thing oh, at yeah. each other because they don't yeah. know what else to do. Oh, and I love gosh. when he's trying to explain the force out at second in baseball. And then he's just so like... So great. He's like, you have to see it for right. yourself. <laughs> you get that great payoff of him at the baseball yeah. game where he finally gets It's just it. like, I don't know how else I can explain because this to you. he must... <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. this movie it, is a total charmer. Yeah, if I you haven't, it. if you haven't seen it, please seek it out. Yeah. I, it's a movie that, like, maybe people were lucky enough to catch on TNT or something. But yeah. again, I think the lack of big stars or the fact that, like, Brendan Fraser and Lisa Silverstone kind mm-hmm. of became has-beens, you yeah. know, in the public consciousness. Um, people don't talk about this movie, and I kind of wish they would because it's a really, it's it's a gem of a comedy. I'm going to C2E2 in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And Alicia Silverstone is going to be there. And I get her to I sign think, your baseball cards. I think I'm going to get her to sign something blast from the past. Nice. Because I, 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 this movie took my heart. Yay. Yay. All right. So my next pick was The Wood, which was one that you had not seen. Correct. Yeah. Um, this was a movie that I saw in an empty theater at the Town and Country Mall. Nice. Um, when it came out. And. I could not wait to tell the world about. And when I worked at Blockbuster, um, it was when it was out for rental, and it was the movie that I recommended for a solid like two months straight to anybody who ever asked if what was good on the new release wall. It's right up my alley because it's just so relentlessly sweet. And I always um, – get really kind of taken by the last maybe half hour of the movie because for whatever reason, and I don't, maybe I'm just being, maybe this is just hyper specific to me, but like for whatever reason, I feel like the first maybe hour and 15 minutes of the movie, it's like, oh, this is this really good, like nice movie. And then the last half hour of the movie just becomes this like beautiful mix of like coming of age and melancholy and mm-hmm. like it's just it just pun- like pushes all of my buttons and it makes me just like really kind of emotional so um it's got great music um i think the i prefer the flashback scenes to the i think i do too modern scenes i found myself wishing that was the whole movie yeah yeah um it's an mtv movie and they had a lot of interesting stuff back, 99. back then varsity um, blues this mm-hmm. election yeah yeah, it feels like one of those movies where I think the director, I think it was, I'm going to have trouble pronouncing his last name. It's Rick Famu Yawa, I think. Uh, but she, he went on to direct like uh, Brown Sugar and Talk to Me and a few Dope. other things. Uh, Dope. Yeah. yeah, it was most recently. Um, and it feels like the movie that he was born to make. It feels like this was like the movie that he's had in his brain for all the time before he made his first movie. And um, I think, like, I, re- I always remember because I watched the Crow VHS over and over and over again. They had the trailer for Fresh, and they were, like, introducing Sean Nelson. And I'm just like, this is Sean Nelson's other movie, and he's so good in this, and he's go- he's just this goofy kid. Yeah. I love his, like, dances that he makes up <laughs> because it reminds me of, like, I used to think I was a really good dancer, and I used to do shit like this, like, all the time. <laughs> And I remember, like, taking away – this was – I was around the same age as the kids in the flashback scenes. 
when this came out and I took away a lot of like the dating and the <laughs> advice from it. Interesting. So all the stuff like I definitely bought a lot of Tic Tacs after this movie <laughs> came out and he's just like, I'm like, it's like, yeah, never chew. <laughs> like all that stuff. I was just like, I'm writing this down. I thought it was just such great. Um, but yeah, I just, I love the cast. I was a fan of Omar Epps already from Higher Learning, of course. And then like R- Richard T. Jones from Renaissance Man and from um, Event Horizon and everything. And uh, Tay Diggs, I was okay with too. And uh, it's just like a nice, pleasant screensaver of a movie. <laughs> Yeah, it it was interesting. I had never seen it, and yeah. so I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I remembered the marketing, so I assumed it was three friends hanging out. Yeah, um, and then it quickly segues into flashbacks and mm-hmm. kind of bounces for me a little bit uncomfortably between the two. Yeah, I do feel like I wish it had picked a lane and and gone all one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that of of the two sort of. Uh, there might have been more than two. I mean, the movie that I most quickly comes to mind is another sort of uh, black cast comedy drama with Tay Diggs from '99, mm-hmm. and that's The Best Man, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say I prefer The Best Man. Yeah, from memory, I don't know that I've seen The Best Man in mm-hmm. a long time, but um, very likable, I thought. Mm-hmm. And um, at times, I thought it was a little bit. I felt like it was trying too hard to be dirty. I think that was, yeah, it was funny because it was like... Which seemed to be at odds with with the movie's sort of essential sweetness. Yeah, and it came out like a week or two after American Pie, but they okay. still have like the sex pack thing. Right. Yeah. So some of the some of the yeah. some of the attempts to be dirty, I just felt like, well, you're kind of getting in the way, or even just the language. Like sometimes the language <laughs> is a little rough. Which is fine, but I just yeah. was like, this is almost at odds with what the tone of this movie is. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess I could read it another way of that. It's just honest to how teenage sure. boys kind of act. Sure. But, um, yeah, and, like, this movie's so very nostalgic of, yeah. like, let's look back on kind of when we were, you know, kids. And I think, like, the thing that I really responded to it is... When I was in my early 20s, I was still like when I would be home from college, I would still be hanging out with primarily the same two best friends that I had from high school. And I thought for sure, like we were going to basically just be the same trio for the rest of our lives and everything like that. And nothing bad happened. It's just life circumstances. One of them moved to to England and another one got married and has a bunch of kids and I just never see them anymore. And like, I think like that's what I really responded to in this movie is just kind of the fragility of Mm -hmm. that type of friendship. Um, And uh, I, I, I don't know. I kind of find that moment at the end where like they're, they're sort of realizing that the torch has to be passed. Right. And, you know, it's they're still going to have the memories together and everything like that, and that it nothing's going to take that away. But that's probably for them mostly the end of the line in terms of being part of each other's lives. Right. And I don't know. I just found that really moving. Um. And I also the I'm I think it's Melinda Williams is the actress who I might have her name wrong. It's the one. 
in the flashback sequences that plays Sean Nelson's girlfriend. Young Sanaa Lathan? Yeah. Okay. I think she's so good at She this. is so good. And she was in high school high and like then did a lot of TV after that. Okay. But I think she's such a... It's funny. You just don't think that she would be so nice. Right. Like, just because she's kind of she got like a tough look. She didn't have to be so look. nice is what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you. I was ready for that. <laughs> she just has like kind of a tough look to her. And then like throughout the movie, you realize what a sweetie she is. And it's just like, I don't know. She's a really appealing character. I like and, her a lot. And that for yeah. me, again, because I found myself wishing that the whole movie had been flashbacks. Yeah. I was like, I want more of this storyline yeah. like more of these two and i do feel like maybe the movie miscalculates a little bit in its last 20 minutes or so in how much it wants us to invest in tay Diggs' impending wedding yeah and well we don't know anything to the about bride, bride that we literally yeah. just met yeah whereas i'm like no no no, i just want to see the omar epps romance paid off yeah. you know like that's really all i care about so sanaa lathan shows up and is like oh yay oh that's kind of it mm-hmm. <laughs> like we don't see much yeah from that um i did knowing that you were a fan because i think you had texted me like the wood still rules the whole time i was watching it i was like mm-hmm. oh this is a total adam movie yeah i 100 percent got everything that you love about it yeah yeah it's um one of those things where i'm so glad that i i didn't see it for about 10 years okay because it had like maximum impacts like when i watched (laughs) it this time but for a different reason like it was i saw it in a different way and um not to compare the wood to la strada but uh, <laughs> but here goes. <laughs> Roger Ebert wrote an essay. I think I'm almost certain it was on La Strada. It was one of his great movie essays. And he was talking about how the movie never changes, but that it's a completely different movie because you see it at your, in your 20s and you're a different person than when you see it when you're in your 30s and 40s. And I think he described it as like... It was when he started in his twenties. It was the person that he wished he could be. Then it was in the thirties. It was the person that he is. And then in the forties, it was the person he doesn't want to be anymore. Or what did he like wish that. he could be in La Strada? I don't know. I've never seen La Strada. Oh, it so, can't be in La Strada. Okay. <laughs> it's got to so be I, something else. It's, it, yeah, it was. It was an Italian movie. I'm pretty sure it was a Fellini. Okay. I can't remember what it was, but um, but that just kind of struck a chord to me, where I'm just like, okay, like this is you know what I was hoping for, and right. this is what it is now, and yeah. everything, yeah. and like um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it, it it doesn't wreck me, but it's like something that I just it's like a big blanket of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited that I now own it digitally because Sweet. it was 3.99 to rent and 4.99 to own That's and I a went solid purchase. purchase. Yep, yeah, exactly. So yeah. part of my digital library now, The Wood. There you go. I, I can watch it anytime. I can watch it on the go. That's like me in Love and Air Sex. <laughs> oh, That's part of my digital library. <laughs> You can watch that whenever I please. I have a feeling my digital library is a nightmare. <laughs> like, I've keep my I keep my digital library pretty, pretty clean. Although I went, I definitely had in 2015. That was like my DVDs of the 90 of the 1999 2000 era where I just bought everything. Yeah, and I'm like, why do I have Steve Jobs? Well, I'm not gonna watch You're that ever watch again. It all the time. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Um, all right, next for me, I've got two more. I guess I should do the other one that we already teased, okay. which is Mumford. Yeah. Which I cannot explain why in 1999, the same year that I really liked Drop Dead Gorgeous, that I also really responded to Mumford. Because mm-hmm. Mumford is not a young person's movie. <laughs> no. Mumford is a movie for your parents or older. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, it's not even totally true. It's not fair. But it is very old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Um 
It's a Lawrence Kasdan movie that, again, I cannot believe got released into theaters. The cast is insane. Um, there are no giant stars, but it's all people you know. Yep. And in 99, it was several people that you didn't even know yet who would go on to be big stars like mm-hmm. Zoe Deschanel or uh, Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. or in a blink and you'll miss him cameo, uh, Simon Helberg from The Big Bang Theory. Yep. Um, but it has a very, very deep bench of actors that I like. And it's just this movie about people talking to each other and discovering things about themselves and mm-hmm. making connections to one another. Um, and it all takes place in sort of this sleepy little town. And it is a very nice movie. And I'm not often swayed by nice. But yeah. for whatever reason, the Friday night it opened, I went to see Mumford with Doug and his girlfriend. We went to see Dog Park. And then I talked them into seeing Mumford. Is that Luke Wilson? It sure is. Okay. And Natasha Henstridge. Um, it is not great. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> once he said Natasha Hitchens, it like my left eyebrow raised. Where I'm like, do I have to watch Dog Park? Not super great. Okay. I think I saw yeah. it because Janine Garofalo is also in it. Okay, but uh, and Bruce McCullough, another Kids in the Hall yeah. alum. Um, and then we saw Mumford, and I again had very low expectations for Mumford because what does that title even mean? And the marketing didn't really tell you anything. And mm-hmm. Lawrence Cast didn't mean something to my parents, but not to me, right? Yeah, and. Uh, I've watched it a bunch over the years, and it's one of those movies that I tend to beat the drum for as being like this really underrated movie that I wish people would talk about more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing when we we're, the plan is to maybe do a couple of these nine from ninety nine shows, and then at the end do uh, one about our favorite movies of that year. And I'm guessing Mumford ends up somewhere on that list. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So this was the other one that I'd never seen yeah. before. I. Saw the trailer a lot for it. It was one of those movies where, like, before every movie I saw at a certain part of 99, like, I saw Because I was going... It I was, feel like Touchstone yeah. is the studio that is guiltiest of that. Because, like, yeah. I saw the Just Visiting trailer more times than I'm comfortable. <laughs> to, and I to, still, to this day, yeah. Erica and I still say, I have good boots. <laughs> like, I have good boots. So that's your Hidalgo trailer. Oh, uh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Ed TV was another bad one, but that's universal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I never saw the movie, and I'm just so happy that we're doing this show because I now I have seen Mumford, and I really liked it a lot. Um, it I mentioned to you, I it felt majestic-ish. Yeah. But that middle scene where you find out, what's his deal? Uh-huh. Is crazy yep. and amazing. <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, one of the things that I so Lauren Dean plays Mumford, and he's this uh, psychologist, but not really. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, but he he reminded me so much of one of my. And this isn't. I'm not going to go into great depth about this, but he reminded me of one of the psychologists that I've gone to. And he was one of the psychologists that I've stopped going to because I realized, oh, I just think that I want to be friends with this guy. (laughs) Like, he's not helping me, but he's just such a solid, nice dude. And that's kind of what I took away from Mumford where I'm just like, oh, it's easy to see why people would kind of fall under this guy's spell because he's just more practical and very easy to talk to and everything like that. And um, it's a shame that Lauren Dean never really got more chances like this because he's almost always like the 12th lead of a movie, like yeah, Enemy of the of, State or yeah, something. Yeah, he's kind of yeah. like a not anything except yeah. for maybe Gattaca. Yeah. I mean, other than Mumford, I, I most recognize him as uh, 
Say Anything, right? He's Joe mm-hmm. Lies from Say Anything. Yeah. I don't even remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Mumford, it's like, this guy could have been... Mm-hmm. He's really good in yeah. it, and he's really funny mm-hmm. in, in a way that you don't expect. Yes. I think he comes at the jokes from an angle that I wouldn't anticipate, and yeah. uh, it's surprising and, and really good. It's got a lot of fun moments in it like that you don't – and a thing that I really loved about the movie was I had no idea what to expect after a while. Like it just yeah. kind of was surprising right. me, Like, and I was just along for it. Um, I loved – jason lee's look when they're playing catch and he realizes he's just like this guy's talking so much shit about all these other patients like aren't you not supposed to do that like i just love that and then um just like the there's like little pleasures in this movie like i told you i didn't know that jason lee was a professional skateboarder Mm. and then you just get this like uncut shot of him skateboarding for like 15 seconds i'm like wow that's good cinema right yeah, there yeah. or um i really or just like like ted danson was like born to say the words mumford oh, he's just man. like so you're mumford of Mumford. he crushes every single line yeah. just sorry traffic yeah. was a motherfucker yeah <laughs> like everything he says yeah he's the worst slash best yeah yeah he reminds me a lot of there's there's one guy on chicago sports television who's very he very much wants you to know how classy and mm-hmm. refined and erudite he is. And I'm just like, that's that guy right there. <laughs> and it's just, uh, but no, yeah, this movie's just like really charming and, and nice. I, I really liked it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, again, it's another one that I wish people would seek out. It's in keeping with some of the other movies that we've talked about. It is, again, not a shapeless movie. And there's definitely an arc to it, particularly because there's sort of a mystery surrounding the main character, but Mm. it is more of just a hangout movie where you watch different people interact with each other. It's not a real plot driven movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some of the weakest stuff in the movie for me has always been some of the flashback stuff because of the way Lawrence Kasdan chooses to shoot it in that sort of grainy handheld way. And it's like, again, to me that's at odds with how old fashioned the rest of the movie Mm. is. Um, but I mean, whatever, that's fine. It reminds me a lot of like the, do they call it, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but is a blank check movie the one where like you have a hit and then you can do whatever you want? Yep. It reminds me of a blank check movie, but then I looked at his filmography and I'm like, what What is he cashing in on? What was the one he was The Big Chill? Like Wyatt Earp, I (laughs) think was his movie, or maybe French Kiss. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, he hadn't had a, and I was having that exact same thought as I watched it. Like, how did Lawrence Kasdan get a studio to pay for this movie and put it out in theaters? Because. And it wasn't cheap. I looked at the budget. It was like 20 something million, which in 99 would have been like 50 million. Right. It feels like a blank check movie, but he doesn't seem to be cashing. I can't think of the check that he seems to be cashing. Right, right. And then he hasn't done anything since. I mean, it's been like Dreamcatcher really. and Help Me Find My Dog. And, I, you know, <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of that movie. But. I haven't seen too many Lawrence Kasdan movies when I took a look back at his filmography. But I like... I mean, Body Heat, Silverado, Accidental Tourist. Heat. I think those are all real good. Yeah, I've seen Body Heat, And Silverado yes, I know real good is not grammatically correct person in comments. Did somebody do that? Yeah. JB and I both said real good. Like, we know that it's wrong. We're choosing to say it. Yeah. It's also speaking, not writing. So <laughs> shut up. Don't shut up. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I was talking to you. Stop oh, saying no, real yeah, good. No, that's stop saying real good. I will stop. All right. It's really good. Yeah, uh, I really like this one. Yeah. All right. Next. Next. I have... You have two more. I have one, right? Yeah, you okay. do. 
All right, I'll go with the Green Mile. Okay. Okay, so I'm a Darabont head. Yeah, a Darabro. Darabro, I'm total Darabro. <laughs> I'm really sad that he doesn't make more movies. What but is I, the story? I is think he just it's his meltdown from The Walking Dead. I think that's got to be what it is. And he must not need the money because yeah. he's got to be making crazy amounts of money from that show. Yeah, um, or from his lawsuit or whatever. It's a whole right. weird thing. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, I'm sad that he yeah, only has four, four movies. movies. That's nuts. He's made four movies since 1994. It's crazy. Yeah. But I love all of them. Okay. And the Green Mile is the one that I have the least affection for, but I still, wait, it's the movie that I think I like less until I watch it again. And then when I watch it, I'm just like, oh, no, I still really like The Green Mile. (laughs) The Green Mile, and this is going to sound douchey, it reminds me of just luxuriating in, like, reading a big, long book that's good. It's And obviously that makes sense because it's based off of a Stephen King book. Um, I think that uh, it has this very movie-ish quality where it feels dreamlike and like a fantasy and it do- it feels just very movie. It doesn't feel kind of natural or like day-to-day. Um, and I like that about it. Uh, I think that Michael Clark Duncan sort of taps into something that's... I And I know that you could say that it's the magical African-American person complex, but I don't know if it's the performance and it supersedes it for me, but I feel like he's so nakedly emotional in it that Mm -hmm. it really kind of gets to me. I like the melancholy aspect of the movie where it's this, um, you know, it's a sentimental story, but it also has these really dark undercurrents yeah, to it. Yeah, you expect it to be such a feel-good movie because it yeah. looks and feels like one. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of darkness in it. Like the the uh, the very end of it, the last kind of moments that, they're, that they have of the voiceover narration mm-hmm. is so kind of merciless in mm-hmm. a way to a character who should... who we've been rooting for all along right. because he's a good, decent man right. put in an impossible situation. Um. But yeah, it's just it's it, it leaves you on that it's like really haunting and it sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, this was back in Tom Hanks's run from about I don't know, Big or maybe A League of Their Own to like Catch Me If You Can, where he just had okay. hit after hit yeah. after hit, and every movie that he did was good. And um, this isn't one of the best of that group but i think it's just a a great movie just to stop and just sort of kind of enjoy and sit back and watch it's just like tnt it's just good drama (laughs) they know drama (laughs) it is i think maybe my least favorite darabont movie yeah um again he only has four so that's not saying much because Mm. i still like the movie um i do like the the fact that it deals because you got to figure, I mean, it's a movie that's set on death row, mm-hmm. like for it to just be the sort of the, the majestic sentimentality yep. would be very dishonest. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen King can be a very sentimental writer, but he's not so sentimental that he's going to mm-hmm. not deal with some of the things. Um, I agree with you about Michael Clark Duncan's performance. I totally understand people's objections to the magical black man, mm-hmm. like, cause that's definitely what's going on. But, um, 
Really good, again, cast. This was a movie where Sam Rockwell, I think, first came on my radar Yeah, for the longest time. Like I was like, oh, Galaxy he's Quest the, he's like the scary guy right yeah. from uh, from Green Mile. And the movie where Doug, what's his name, got Hutchinson. on my radar. Is that his name? Yeah. I know he was on an episode of X-Files. He was a very famous X-Files villain, and then he like okay. married a child or something. And, yeah, uh, he was in Bait. I remember he was in Bait. Bait? Yeah. Oh, Bait. I saw Bait in theaters. Who didn't? He's in Punisher Warzone also. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. Anyway, we ran down his film. This is one of those movies where you like look back at the cast and you're like, oh, yeah, this is when David Morse and Barry Pepper were in things. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? And it's nice to see uh, Jeffrey Munn. Is that his name? Jeffrey DeMunn. Jeffrey DeMunn. Yeah, he's a I know is a Darabont favorite. It's nice to see him show up and stuff. There's one realistic scene in the movie, Mm. incredibly realistic. Yeah. And that's the scene where Tom Hanks can't keep his hands off Bonnie Hunt. That I <laughs> that's see. That's where I thought you were going. I <laughs> think, yeah, this yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I know this movie's a fantasy, but this I buy. Yeah, yeah. Bonnie Hunt's pretty great. Um, <laughs> it's funny because your feelings about Bonnie Hunt are how I feel about Patricia Clarkson with a brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, though, like Patricia Clarkson, I think is such a hottie. Sure. When I saw her in The Untouchables, I was just like, what is, why is he even going to work? Like, how, how does a man go to work? <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's going to be a running theme on this show and I'm sure on any 99 show we do that like, yeah. Yeah, it's another – I keep calling them hangout movies, which yeah. sounds like a movie you want to put on while you hang out. And that's not necessarily what I mean, but it's like, yeah, it's just a movie that you live in for three hours. Yeah. Like Mumford, like Eyes Wide Shut, like another movie that we're going to talk about. It's mm. – um, you know, it's it doesn't have a traditional sort of mm-hmm. narrative structure. This is our plot. We got to defuse the bomb, you know, or whatever. It's like we got three hours. We got a lot of story to tell, yeah. a lot of people to meet. Um, it's one of those movies where it's just like, why does it have to be watched in one sitting? Take your time with it. Enjoy yeah, it. Well, yeah, well, I, so I don't have the Blu-ray. I, yeah. I busted out my DVD, and it is split up over two discs, which I thought oh, was interesting. Oh, mine isn't split over two discs. Do you have the, the Snapcase one? Yeah. Okay, so I have the – whatever the next one was, okay. like the special edition. Okay. Um, And, it yeah, it's split up over two discs. So it's okay. about two hours on the first one and about an hour on the second, which, gotcha. is, which is about right. Yeah. All right. So I got to tell you my Blockbuster Video story about yep. the Green Mile. The only time I ever got written up at Blockbuster Video was about <laughs> the a great movie, story, by the way. Was about the movie The Green Mile. Oh, I told you this already? I think maybe you texted it or oh, okay. I saw it somewhere. Okay. Um so I so it was the day it was June of 2000, maybe July. It was during the summer of 2000 and The Green Mile was coming out and we had um instructions to set up two full new release shelves of the green mile and it was one of those movies that was real big in its britches and it had like the fat vhs thing because it was two cassettes so because of that there wasn't like a good way to display it really because you either if you put like two copies behind the cover box the cover box would be like teetering over the edge of the of the shelf and we were trying to like think of we we're being like really creative. It's like how do we like maximize the shelf space and how do we do this? How do we do that? So um, we we're like, should we fan out the blockbuster cases? But no, it doesn't look good because like it's a box and then a rectangle. And we were doing all this. So um, we just decided, me and like this one other guy, Steve, we're like, let's just have fun with this. So we did. We fanned it out. 
We put the cover boxes in front of it. We had like the DVDs on the top shelves and we had the VHSs making up like th- the bottom three quarter shelves. But then we were real slap happy and I'm like, let's go to Office Depot and buy green construction <laughs> paper. And then like we'll make our own green mile <laughs> and we'll just tape it to the floor and then we'll lead it from the front door all the way to the, <laughs> the part of the new release wall where the green mile was. And then... The whole night, like this was after closing, um, we had the constru- we we had the construction paper. And we were sending it out. And we were doing the Harry Dean walking the mile, walking yeah, the right, green right. mile. We were having a like, great time with it. So then, my shift the next day was started at five o'clock, and then I walked into the store, and all the construction paper was off the ground. And first thing that happened was I checked in and then my boss said, Hey, can you come in the back real quick? And I was just like, yeah, sure. And he's like, um, you got written up Oh, geez. and I want to talk to you about this. And like, you know, it's not your place for creativity. Like <laughs> this is a job and stuff like that. And I was just like, and he was like looking at me like, it was pretty funny, <laughs> but like, this is kind of the way that it has to be. And I was like, wanted to ask so many questions like i'm like how long did you leave it out for <laughs> i'm like did anybody walk the green mile like did anybody get the experience that was intended yeah i'm sorry i thought i was bringing sizzle to the home video yes, experience my goodness but that yeah so funny and yeah. i'm upset that they wrote you up for that <laughs> yeah that's why blockbuster went away right if if that was the reason then i'm sorry that i did it no i'm saying it is because <laughs> of that kind of conformist yeah. attitude yeah yeah, if it was a mom and pop video store, I think it. we could have totally done that it. That Green Mile would still be there, <laughs> leading into the one copy they have in of the Green Mile. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, um, maybe I could do that at the library. <laughs> they might, they might go for that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, my last pick is The Insider, mm-hmm. which I hadn't seen in a long time, um, and uh, obviously it's Michael Mann's drama about the whistleblower Jeffrey Wigand who did a 60 minutes interview where he kind of called out the tobacco companies for knowingly getting people addicted and giving them cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's a weird structure of a movie. It's over two and a half hours. Like so many of the movies we're talking about. Yeah. The first half of the movie is the Jeffrey Wigand story in which Al Pacino playing the 60 Minutes producer is kind of a supporting character. And then all of a sudden it switches to being the Al Pacino movie about him trying to get the story on the air. It's really like these two halves, which again, I'm sure is by design, but it can be jarring when you think back, like Mm -hmm. we haven't seen Jeffrey Wigand in a while. I thought this was his movie. Um, I, I like Michael Mann. Mm -hmm. I think he's, he he has a lot in common to me with like Oliver Stone. He's a little less sloppy. He's like a more precise Oliver Stone. Yeah. Um, I think I went into this viewing of the movie, and I've only, probably only seen it twice. I saw it the night it opened, and then I probably watched it once on DVD. Mm-hmm. So this is only the third time I'd seen it. And I think my feeling going into it was that this was Michael Mann's best movie. I'm not positive I still feel that way, even though I think it's super interesting and compelling and makes a good drama out of um, what could you know, be a very dry subject. Yeah. Just yeah. not an especially cinematic topic. Yeah. You know, I mean, certainly good movies have been made about journalism mm-hmm. and, and if nothing else, I felt like even though the movie's 20 years old, so much of it is talking about things that we're stealing, still dealing with, whether it's mm-hmm. corporate greed, yep. mistrust, conflicts of interest, conflicts of interest. Yeah. And, you know, journalistic integrity, yeah. which 
Al Pacino has a couple speeches in this movie that mm-hmm. just make me weep for the state of the world. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Anyway, what would you think? Uh, yeah, I, it's a movie that I've always liked. Like you, I hadn't seen it in a very long time. Um, I think I had the same reaction where I, for the first half of the movie on this rewatch, I was like, oh, this is clearly Michael Mann's best movie. Yeah. But I think I like the Russell Crowe plot more than the Al Pacino plot. Um I really like the Al Pacino part because I just I, I love journalism movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this is also a movie where they give a lot of great moments, like single scenes to certain actors. So like Bruce McGill will just oh, like man. tear. I a, love Bruce McGill. A, hit him in the in the Insider is amazing. Yeah. Or um, another one was uh, Michael Gambon scene where he's threatening but not threatening. Right, like that is so tense it's like this movie shouldn't be that tense but it's like crazy intense well and michael mann is always yeah. like that with actors where every yeah. part is filled with somebody that you know somebody right. who's like you know quote unquote bigger than the role that they're being given yeah where it's like um because even in this movie and i don't think i'd ever noticed this mm-hmm. on past rewatches one of al pacino's kids either his son or his stepson yeah is brecken meyer yeah who never shows up again nope so his entire plot i'm sure yeah. was cut or like lindsey krauss is his wife and doesn't yeah right like you don't need lindsey krauss yeah, exactly. to do those yeah. two scenes um so i'm sure a lot of stuff got cut out but it's just watching his movies it's always great because you watch miami mm-hmm. vice and it's just like oh and justin thoreau as the other cop for yeah. no reason right or mm-hmm. collateral like everybody they go see is somebody that you're yeah. like oh shit like yeah. you didn't even know like mark ruffalo and peter berg were in right it until, like you're watching <laughs> right, it yeah. right yeah i I, I really like Michael Mann ordinarily, and like this is, I think, among his strongest movies. For sure. Yeah. Um, it's really um, – I like also how it almost feels like he's got a lot of non-professional actors in certain scenes. Like some of the guys like who he talks to from the New York Times, like I'm convinced those are probably guys from the okay. New York Times. Probably. Like there's just kind of a like real clean professionalism to to their – the way that they act. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I just really miss this Russell Crowe. Like he, yeah. he had a run cause I don't love gladiator or beautiful mind, but I really like him in those movies and LA confidential and, um, even like some stuff like a good year and I never like, saw a good year. It's surprisingly good. Okay. Um, and then, other than the nice guys, I don't know. It feels like he's in a lot of movies that, for whatever reason, they're more. And I, all right, I'm trying. I've got. I'm. I'm working my way to this point. Okay. It's like he was the guy who didn't do mall movies, but now he only does mall movies. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's sort of how I feel about him. But um, like him and. And I'm sorry, your arch enemy, Edward Norton, like around this time, I thought like these two guys, I'm like, these are the next generation of great actors. And then it just kind of didn't happen or it happened for a brief amount of time, but then it didn't really kind of materialize over the decades. And do you think uh, anything, do you think that has anything to do with the fact that they're both notoriously difficult to work with? Yeah. I mean, I know for Edward Norton, I think that's got to be what it is. Um, With Russell Crowe, it's interesting because he seems at times to not be that way. Mm -hmm. Like, he seems pretty kind of affable and aware 
of himself, but then like you hear stories about him of right. just about what a, hitting people with phones. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of strange. Um, but this is a a really solid movie, and like it's nice that it's in the hands of somebody as much of a stylist as Michael Mann because. And I don't mean to throw shade, but this is just to use as an example. I can imagine this being Lions of for Lambs. Like I can imagine sure, like yeah, it yeah. in the hands of Robert Redford, right. where it's just like the most sanctimonious, like right. artless type of movie. Um but uh yeah, I mean like Michael Mann certainly knew his the aesthetic at the time and um yeah, it's just a really involving, engrossing movie to kind of luxuriate in i like it a lot and pacino's great in it yeah and he's very dialed down it's uh yeah it's kind of an ant- antithetical al pacino performance for that time in his career he did this in any given sunday like in the same couple months there right yeah yeah didn't get nominated though yeah it's bullshit um yeah, yeah the, i think the moment there's a moment late in the film where michael mann like cranks up this sort of overblown score with like choral singers going on and i yeah. just was like all right take it easy oliver stone <laughs> yeah. like yeah uh, not everything needs to be this but it is a really solid movie do you do you feel like i know the prevailing wisdom has always been russell crowe's oscar for gladiator mm-hmm. was just makeup makeup for the insider do you think that's true yes okay yeah i i felt that way at the time too okay yeah because because uh christopher Plummer won uh yeah yeah i think like because in 2000 kevin spacey there's no other yeah there's no (laughs) other reason why tom hanks shouldn't have won that award i can't even talk about that i'm so upset i mean like that's uh, here's the thing with okay (laughs) this is another all right not to kick the oscars while it's down but like (sighs) one of the things i can't stand about the oscars and if i had my way with the oscars it would be this is that there's no rhyme or reason to the logic of when people can win or can't win certain things mm-hmm. because I think Tom Hanks lost because he had won two Oscars earlier in the decade. Right. Or in the previous right. decade. Right. That's the only reason. Like, I don't know how. And then you're giving Russell Crowe for Gladiator, even for though he should have right. won it for The Insider and right. everything like that. And then you see, it, it just doesn't make any sense any way shape or form because like i'm watching the oscars last night and like how many oscars does alfonso Cuarón need right how many oscars does in your need how many oscars does jack nicholson need how many oscars does meryl streep need spread the wealth a little bit so i kind of well, see that flies in the way i was gonna say yeah. that flies in the face so of the point I you're just I, making no, I, I agree <laughs> like that's why i'm saying i, I can't just don't understand the whole it. concept yeah. of the narrative that once yeah. the narrative begins you can't deviate from that track. So once it was decided that like yeah. Rami Malek was winning the awards, mm-hmm. it became a foregone conclusion. Yeah. And I can't for the life of me figure out how that happens. Right. That Oscar voters it's are just this voting consensus. just because they heard he won the other stuff. Well, you see that with critics too. I cannot for the life of me figure that out. Yeah. How more people didn't stand up because the rest of us are all standing outside of it being like, wait, what? How does that happen? Why is he winning? Yeah. So how is it not possible that the people in the Academy would stop and say, mm-hmm. maybe he didn't give the best performance last year yeah. in the best movie? I have a way to to make the Oscar ratings go through the roof. Okay. And this is how you get that to happen. For best supporting actor, best supporting actress, best actor, best actress, you give each of the nominees the same scene. Okay. And they all have to go on stage like and perform the scene. Yeah. 
And then whoever wins, you vote with your phone like American <laughs> Idol, and that's who gets the Oscar. I like it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm on board for it. Yeah, because, hello, if Bradley Cooper has to work for his meal last night where he has yeah. to eat, it's like, yeah, right? it almost seems like you're not going to get shallow unless you kill oh, this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the Insider's real good. Yeah. It's really, really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Is it your favorite, or what? what is your favorite Michael Mann movie at this stage in the game? I mean, my heart says Miami Vice. Okay. But uh, I love Heat. I love Thief. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. the insider. Mm-hmm. Those four, I'd be happy with those four. Yeah, mine kind of changes in and out between. I guess I gotta go heat. Yeah, yeah, but the insider and collateral are probably pretty close. I too. like collateral. I like manhunter, but yeah, those yeah. other four. Are... Manhunter, I would say, but it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to. I know, it's but it's doing its job. I know, but it's so like I'm like this is a real murder scene. <laughs> this is real. This is real. Like Tom Noonan's really this crazy. He really plays in a god of the Vita. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then That's last fun. but not least is uh, a movie that will come up when we do our best of the year again, and that is Summer of Sam. Yeah. And Summer of Sam is my – I'm coming to terms that it's my second favorite Spike Lee movie. Behind Old Boy? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Why would – no, The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Oh, got it. No, it's um, about the blood. It's about the blood. <laughs> I love it. I loved all the news that I heard afterwards about his, his what he did after Green Book won. His whole "It's not my cup of tea." No, apparently oh. he like got up and like started walking up the aisle to leave the auditorium, <laughs> and then Jordan Peele and him had to talk, and then like while um, Peter Farrelly and all those other people from Green Book were up on stage, he just turned his back to them. To have him lose again, like to have Black Klansman in the running and to have it lose to this, to driving Miss Daisy a second time, yeah, has to just be such an insult. Yeah, it's a real it, it, karma's a bitch or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's weird. It's weird how the the stars align for that horrible moment. But, anyways, um, so Summer of Sam, I think is. I remember it got well, what's a lot your first of first one. Do the right thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then Malcolm X would be three. Okay. Um, but Summer of Sam, I remember when it came out, was like a change of pace for him yeah. in the regard that a lot of people called attention to. Oh, this is his first movie with a, a mostly white cast, and um, it was getting like comp- I think I think fair comparisons that it was kind of more of a Scorsese type mm-hmm. of movie mm-hmm. than a than a Spike Lee type movie. But he's got so much bravado. Um, that he puts into it. This is the one that I'm thinking of most where I'm just like, this is the director who says, I'm going to put it all out there for my last movie of the 20th century. (laughs) Um, And I just think that it's, it's kind of magical in the way that it handles tones because it's funny at times. It's always over the top. Um, Very. Yeah. yeah, It's very over the top. Um, It originally I heard was supposed to be more centered on, son of sam and not around the kind of chaos that that caused and the blackout caused um but i think like the the decision to make it sort of around the event which i'm assuming might be kind of what they're doing with once upon a time in hollywood with uh tarantino's next movie um i think is a really good idea the performances i don't think all work but they're all interesting okay 
Um, and there, this is also just another movie where like little details just here and there, like really amuse me or I find interesting. So like when I'm seeing like the scene where, uh, like Adrian Brody is dancing to Levian Rose in the male world strip club and stuff. And he's got like a butterfly knife and stuff. I'm just like, even if I go to like a strip, <laughs> if it, even if I want to go to a strip club, I don't know if I want this. It's right, like, right. it's weird. And then, um, he's like stabbing to death, like a pillow mannequin. And then, but then also in that scene, you got Michael Imperioli just like with this crazy character and he's just like, what's your schnick, baby? <laughs> and it's just hilarious. I love, I love Spike Lee's admiration for just acting. He just mm-hmm. like, there's nothing he, like he's a great stylist, but, and he loves music, but there's nothing he would rather do. And you can tell than just put a camera on two actors and let them go. And I read that there is a lot of improv in this, um, in the scenes. And it shows, it shows a lot of spontaneity and mm-hmm. things like that. And just kind of built up, um, kind of, per, uh, you know, relationship stuff that these two performers have, have done together. So what, what do you think of summer? Assume? It is super loose. And I think yeah. one could even accuse it of being sloppy. If, yeah. if, if you weren't into it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If like this movie was not your thing, you would say like, "Oh, it's shapeless and sloppy." Because again, it is. It's another two and a half hour hangout movie where yeah. it's just we're going to spend time with these characters in this world during this period of time. Yeah. So many of the movies that we've talked about, um, I am on board for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like it's sloppy. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I'll follow this crazy movie wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. Like you, I don't think all of it works. I think the Adrian Brody stuff is probably the most problematic stuff in the movie. Yeah, but I don't dislike his performance. No, though. it's like for and I'm not always an Adrian Brody fan, but this Me is one either. of the ones where I, I I like him for the most part. Yeah, it. it's interesting too because it's it does the freaks and geeks thing where it charts the disco to punk right thing, and I I do think that they uh, Spike Lee seems to be very interested in both subcultures, and I I don't know, I just love the scene where like they roll up to uh leguizamo and sorvino roll up to cbgb's and they're just like so out of their depth i just think that's so great um she's amazing in this movie well that's so this yeah it made me sad to watch not just because whatever happened to dot 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 but yeah post weinstein Mm -hmm. um you know mir sorvino really came out and said i realize now that i was blocked from having a career by harvey weinstein and this is a not a Weinstein movie, right? This is just a touchstone movie. Yeah. Um, but she's so good. She's mm-hmm. so great in this movie. And, you know, had a decent 1990s. And then mm-hmm. the 2000s, it just kind of started to go away. And now we know why. And it was like yeah. the malicious intent of one piece of shit. And it breaks your heart. It's not the audience turning their back on her. Mm-hmm. It's not a lack of roles necessarily it's yep. just one garbage person mm-hmm. um so i i struggled a little bit because she would be on screen and she was breaking my heart on two levels because the character breaks my heart yeah and then just mere sorvino was breaking my heart so it was a it was it was an interesting viewing yeah no i mean like i think she's probably for me the mvp of the movie because yeah, just not, she's the character that you sort of come away with like 
who just really kind of seeps its way into your heart. Yeah. Um, the scene like where her and Jennifer Esposito are talking in the bathroom. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just this woman who's just so desperate to yeah. hang on to what the horrible relationship she has with right. her husband. Right. What do you, what do you think of the John Leguizamo performance? Cause I'm kind of of two minds about it. I think his performance is really good and I tend to like him a lot in dramatic roles. Um, but I think that the writing or maybe some of the trajectory of his character don't make a lot of sense because he's very paranoid that Son of Sam saw him. Right. And, and I don't and it feels like there needs to be something more to that because it almost seems like he's the type of person where you know how like there's people in life where something bad happens but then they make it all about themselves mm-hmm. when it's not really about oh. them there's yes, so many I do. people like that i feel like that actually and i feel like john leguizamo's <laughs> character is kind of that where yeah, yeah he's yeah. got this simmering like under the he, like he can't sleep type of thing because he thinks the son of sam is gonna get him but i'm just like what because of, like he got caught like right with the cousin and right. stuff or is it because he went to the crime scene and i can't like piece it together really so that's I don't know, a little bit. But I think he's so good at playing this big man baby. Yeah. And it's a fearless... It's cheap to say it's a fearless performance, but I mean, like, it really is a performance of just looking like a complete asshole. And he's totally game for doing it. I think where it runs into some problems, and it's not in the Leguizamo performance, Yeah, um, I totally agree with you that, like, that whole idea seems to be dropped at a certain point. Yeah. And the movie does that where it just, it, it'll introduce things and then it's just, it's trying to do so much that it ends up dropping things. The whole Adrian Brody porn thing almost comes out of nowhere where it's like, yeah. he says it, Richie, is that his name? Or yep. is the, the kind of like drag character. Is that Richie? Bobby. Bobby. Okay. Yeah. So Bobby says something about he's doing porn or something, and I just assumed he meant the the dancing. Yeah. And then later he found out, no, he actually is doing porn. And mm-hmm. so where did that come from? And anyway, um, I think where the Leguizamo stuff runs into a little bit of trouble for me is I know that the in the universe of the movie, he's wrong. He's in the wrong. He's a bad person. Mm-hmm. But I also think so much of the rest of the movie is almost of a piece with that character. Yeah. That and again, I know that it's about a specific type of attitude that was very prevalent in this city at this time, you yeah. know, like but I think sometimes the movie gets a little bit blurry between representing the thing and not being the thing being the thing yeah 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 yeah. i know what you mean not that it has to come out and condemn it blatantly like we're adults and we can get it i have that with a lot of movies like drop ted gorgeous you could say like well where's the line between it's commenting on it and then it's reveling in it and i think that yeah i think that summer of sam definitely has that and i think there's you could say that of some Spike Lee movies. I know you just yeah. recently watched She Hate Me, and that's yeah. talk about a movie that's like, what? What is? Where's the line? Like, what are yeah. we doing here? Yeah. Um, so I think that's true of some Spike Lee movies, and I think it's a little bit true here. But again, it doesn't get in the way of me really liking the movie. Yeah, I I, I tend to just I don't know, and this is gonna sound weird, but like I really like how sleazy it is. It's just like a yeah. weird. Uh, 
just id almost of Spike <laughs> Lee. Um, but when I was watching all those Spike Lee movies with Rob uh, for a column a few weeks ago, I starting to make me you. I don't know. I maybe I'm simplifying it um, or just speaking for myself, but. You tend to think of Spike Lee as a director who mostly discusses race or things of that. But he's just as interested in sex. Like, he's He's got. He's very interested in sex. He's very, very interested. Weird ideas about sex. And I think he runs into problems when he tackles sex. I feel like he handles sex better in this movie than he does in some of his other movies. Okay. (laughs) In that. For me, it's pretty similar, (laughs) but okay. Yeah, I don't know. But it's just like. When you when you have a director that you really like and you're looking at like what their peccadillos are sort of and like what things that are recurring themes and of interest to them, like Scorsese with religion and right. things like that, you're just like, Oh, Spike Lee is obsessed with characters and sex. Yeah. So yeah. So I just think that's something that is kinda of new to me that uh, that I'm learning about him. Um but yeah, I don't I don't know. I I also really love the music and like how it works within the scenes of the movie. Like there's um, like when uh, I, I don't know. And uh, there's the scene where like, and this is maybe spoilers, uh, two characters are breaking up mm-hmm. towards the end of the mm-hmm. movie and he's got, don't leave me this way playing. And it, it almost puts the movie into like this weird overdrive because I think if he didn't have that song in there, the strength of the two actors performing that scene will break your heart. But like him having that in there too, it almost gives it this weird like base level emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like in Hereditary where like there's that hum kind of noise <laughs> right, right. where you just like even when things are like relatively maybe not menacing like you just feel in your gut right and i feel like that's kind of like what he does with this movie too so i i i I can't say enough good things even though i know that there's certain things in this movie that are a little bit like yeah kind of but um yeah as a package i think it's it's just phenomenal it's super entertaining yeah you know and that's not every Spike Lee movie is as entertaining as this one, I would say. He's very confident in this one. He like seems yeah. to really kind of know what he wants to put out there. And 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 I don't know if he's enjoying Oh, sorry. not making sort of a message movie. Mm-hmm. Um if he's feels a little bit liberated by that where yeah. you know, he's not trying to drive home like you said a a racial message and so he's just mm-hmm. And he had just come off of working with Scorsese on Clockers, right? Uh yeah, it was so like I feel four like... years beforehand. Okay, yeah. he did. Is there one in between? He did get on the bus. Oh, okay. And then he did. Oh, there's two in between. Shit. When he got was... game. I think he got game was his one before. This. You're right. That was '98. Yeah. Damn it. Never mind. No, but I see what you're saying. I, was I mean, like, it was he worked like, yeah. with he worked with Scorsese yeah. on developing Clockers. So this just seems, as you said, a Scorsese influenced. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, this was really super fun to go back and watch all these movies. It didn't feel like homework, and it was fun because I think I saw most of these movies for the first time theatrically. The ones that the ones that I had seen, I saw most of them theatrically with either Doug or Erica or both, because this was like the first summer that Erica and I were hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a really kind of fun trip. Like Summer of Sam, we have so many memories associated with Summer of Sam. So yeah. it was very nostalgic in addition to being just like, oh my God, movies were so good this year. Yeah, I mean, like once I was going through, uh, 
what movies I wanted to do for 20 years later, yeah. I would get to certain months like July and I'm just like, what do I even yeah, do? Because right. there's like right. six movies I could write an right. essay about because I love them so much. And yeah. So this is this is a great excuse to just be able to, you know, bounce them off of you and everything and discuss them. And yeah, guys, it's February. If it's you've got 10 months let's start rewatching tons and tons wait till after after this movie fest yeah you should be watching 86 movies. 86 movies for a week but then make a list yeah of like 20 1999 movies and you're giving yourself a gift mm-hmm. just like watch them throughout the course of the year mm-hmm. and it's like they're just so fucking good and we'll do more of these shows because yeah. it's fun. Um, and I really think – I mean I didn't hate Drop Dead Gorgeous. It was probably mm-hmm. my least favorite of the ones we watched this time. Yeah. And that's not bad. That's No, it's just for a specific right, audience that right. I'm not part of anymore. But other yeah. than that, we're eight for nine, you know, which yeah. is like pretty solid. Yeah. There's a few that I'd like to talk to you about that necessarily – or might not necessarily be ones that we like but I think are kind of interesting okay. too. So I'm, I have one in mind in particular where Ooh. I'm just like – because I remember when I saw it, I was just like, that is shocking. I can't believe they did that. And then I've seen it re- more recently. I'm just like, oof, that's a problematic movie right there. I am excited to find out what this is. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Um, everyone, please go to fthismovie.com, read about F This Movie Fest, start watching your 86 mm-hmm. movies, and make sure you join us on March 9th. We start at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Use the hashtag FThisMovieFest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back for one more special 86-themed episode next week. Mm-hmm. But this was super fun, and I'm I'm like anxious to do it again sooner than later. So yeah, I'm it game. may only be a month from now <laughs> before we do another one of these. That's fine. If we just did 1999 recap shows all year, I'd be totally that fine. Be with bad, that. yeah, that right? would be, yeah. It would be like my Bond series. <laughs> it's just a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, to watch nine movies as opposed to one. The good thing is I think we picked all the longest movies for <laughs> we this. might have, except for Magnolia. I yeah. think we did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, Magnolia. God, I can't get back to Magnolia yet. I need more of a break from Magnolia. Yeah. When we were talking about uh, – well, you were – the other night you were wearing a Paul Thomas Anderson shirt. Yeah. And it made me think about Magnolia. And then we got to talking about something with him. And it just made me remember like when there was like this just – this. It was like it was like this organism of like Paul Thomas Anderson jumping off, jumping off of like John Bryan music off of Fiona Apple and stuff. I'm just like, oh my god! Like I would give anything to get back to right. that little nucleus. Uh, there was, it was so good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Adam. All right, you're welcome. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.